Hello, people of Earth, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Wanna Watch AEW? Woo! Where we ask, hey, you wanna watch AEW? I sure do. Because I have some serious RJ City energy. <laughs> um, my name is Raman, and I am joined across from me by... Callie. And we are two huge AEW marks who have decided to make a podcast together. Yeah, our idea was to create this podcast while we were watching the 200th episode of Dynamite. And while we're recording this, we are less than a week away from one of the biggest shows in history, all in Wembley. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and we talked about it for a while, and we thought, well, Callie is a big fan of AEW, and we thought, why not go back through the last five years of AEW, now that we've hit this sort of a, this milestone in the company, and look back on you know the the booking and the matches and the cards and see what AEW kind of looks like from a retrospective perspective. Yeah, so we've been watching AEW together since January of 2023. Give you a bit of background on myself. I'm a bit more of an armchair wrestling fan. Grew up during the Attitude Era. Uh, DX Suck It in my elementary school yeah, was huge. Yeah, chops. Yeah, I, I, once I did the classic crot, uh, crotch chop and a kid told me that I have nothing to suck. Uh, so looking <laughs> oh, back... So formative. I know, looking back it was a real existential milestone. Uh, you know, not relevant to this podcast but Degeneration X has a footnote in my gender identity journey. I guess I should, uh, we should tell people what your pronouns are. Yeah, well, I use all pronouns because gender is a social construct. We're all just human beings. So thank you for asking. You're welcome. And I am a painfully straight cis male. So <laughs> I think this will be an interesting dynamic. Oh, we're going to have some fun. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, yeah, grew up during the Attitude Era. My dad taught me about wrestling without using the word kayfabe, um, you know, he told me it was acting but the moves were still real uh i grew up in a really big sports family so we watched a lot of hockey a lot of baseball football curling so watching wrestling for the love of the sport was something that i really learned at a young age i didn't really closely follow wrestling until about 2013 or so uh, and then i started paying more attention to wwe i had two friends one of them is a former ex of mine who were also into wrestling we'd watch the pay-per-views we'd go you know to some of the wwe live shows sometimes local shows you know when, when i was watching the wwe product uh, i really loved the shield even yeah. rollins yeah even when rollins turned I was eating it up. I marked so hard for Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair. I definitely rode the John Cena sucks train. And my one friend who I usually watch pay-per-views with loved John Cena. So her and I had a lot of fun during these segments. I stopped watching around 2017, 2018. I got really busy with school, with articling and with work. And you know, there's so many hours in a day. And so I didn't have a lot of time and I felt really less invested in the, the storylines and the product that WWE was putting out. Out. So I actually had no exposure to AEW until 2023, until I met Ramen, and we... You are welcome. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we started watching around January 2023, and uh, yeah, Ramen, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Tell me a bit about yourself. Yeah, so I have been a diehard wrestling fan pretty much as far as I can remember. Like, I have one of my earliest childhood memories. I, th I must have been around eight years old, given the, the timeline of the booking at the time. And my dad had taken me to what must have been a house show in, in the town that we're in. And I remember very clearly that, a, like, a week or so before, Tatanka 
who was this Native American wrestler who I was a big fan of because, oh, look, someone who isn't white on television. I was a huge fan of him, and he turned on Lex Luger to join Ted DiBiase for money. And it made no no booking sense. And at the time, I didn't realize that that's what that meant was. So I was just very mad at Tatanka. Well, what, so you I have, a kid. Right. So I have a very distinct memory of standing on the guardrail, yelling at Tatanka as he's walking to the ring, being like, how could you do this to Lex? He was your best friend. <laughs> I was yelling at him. And my dad, this like first generation Persian immigrant man, is probably very confused why I'm so mad about it. So yeah, I've been a I've been a diehard fan for a long time. And like anybody who's probably been a fan as long as I have, I've had a lot of ups and downs with wrestling, especially in the two thousands, you know, there's been a there were a lot of tragic deaths, mm-hmm. a lot of terrible things, you know, about the wrestling world in shoot um and also you know just vacillating between loving and hating john cena and the the bookings that you know would go up and down in terms of interest and especially the early 2000s stuff was just horrible <laughs> yeah i didn't watch that so i wouldn't and, know you know the ignorant wwe show that i was at the time uh, up until like 2016 i don't think i'd ever watched any other wrestling like i knew tna existed i knew ring of honor existed i knew new japan you know as a canadian i had very limited access to any of that and I don't think I knew that wrestlers in those places were on such a different level or had such a different style and there were definitely times when I wanted to quit I just wanted to I got so tired of the same things over and over and then something would compel me to come back you know the the I remember very much feeling like I'm about to quit wrestling I'm not even gonna watch Raw anymore and my friend texted me being like yo CM Punk just dropped this Mm -hmm. amazing promo so I watched the pipe bomb and of course I stuck back into wrestling which is funny to think about how I think about CM Punk now we'll we'll get to that eventually (laughs) yeah one day we'll get to that (laughs) Uh, you know the summer of punk so then that happened and then the shield debuted and they were really hot yeah and 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 then the daniel bryan storyline as well and the new day and things like that there were little things here and there that just kept me sticking with wwe and then new japan world started streaming their service in north america and that's when i really started to sort of open myself up to other styles of wrestling so did you start watching new japan around that time yeah that, i i did i started watching new japan and it was right when you know i honestly it was a confluence of things it was right when Kenny Omega was was going for the world title picture and I had never really seen him wrestle I didn't really know who he was even I'd heard his name here and there shocking I know as you as you'll find (laughs) as you'll find out but yeah I had no idea who he was and so I watched these matches between him and Kazuchika Okada and like that plus the way CM Punk after the pipe bomb started talking about wrestling those two things I think matured my my wrestling the way I view wrestling, uh, the way I view matches and mm-hmm. work rate and stuff. And not that work rate matters everything. It doesn't. Some matches, you could have like five moves and be as interesting as anything else, yeah. right? But their style and just the, the intensity and the storytelling, just, yeah, I won't get into it, but those matches are amazing. And it completely changed my, it opened my eyes to the depth of the media. And now I barely watch WWE anymore, which is, you know, it's more of a dig than I actually intended to be, to be quite <laughs> honest. The company right now in 2023 is incredibly hot, mm-hmm. and I won't deny that. I don't hate WWE at all. I just, my diet right now consists mostly of AEW with a bit of New Japan mixed in when there's things like the G1 or I want to mm-hmm. watch Eddie Kingston in the G1 because he's my boy. I have been a devoted fan of AEW from day one. I am still a 
amazed that this company exists for all its faults and all its greatness. It has created not only its own alternative, but has given the oomph for so many potential alternatives to to really set themselves apart and feel like the the industry is probably as broad now in terms of uh, opportunity as it ever has been. And sure. I think that that's kind of a theme of our of our podcast today because we're starting it off with the first AEW pay-per-view, the first yes. official AEW official, yes. pay-per-view Double or Nothing 2019. And the goals of this podcast ultimately are, you know, we want to chronologically watch AW, obviously, we want to make points of the commentary, the humor, the sharing of knowledge and the booking. And, you know, maybe some of you have just joined AEW like in the last couple of years or in the last year or at Wembley and don't know every little detail about these storylines that are to some point maintained over the last five years. And I know, Callie, you have you have your own perspective into this. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I like again, I've only been watching it since 2023. So I'm going to be learning a lot of the history. It's going to be a really educational journey journey for mm-hmm. me I guess so hopefully um, and also learning about wrestling as well I mean, we will not you know, stop believing yeah so it's it's gonna be a bit of a, a you'll be my sort of guide through AEW mm-hmm. with all of your wrestling knowledge and finally before we we get into the pay-per-view this is an adult podcast there will be lots of swearing and terrible jokes uh, that may not be appropriate for the age group under 18 so let's just yeah listener work. listener yeah. Dis- discretion is advised yes that is our disclaimer it is now your responsibility no that's not <laughs> how that works but I'm... okay so without further ado let us talk about double A-E-W. or nothing 2019 double or nothing 2019 it is may 25th 2019 we are at the mgm garden arena in las vegas uh there's about eleven thousand people in attendance there uh we see the commentators here i know some of these guys <laughs> yeah, your notes and hey i know these guys i know these guys we have excalibur who looking at him you know he hasn't aged at all well, that's because mask fabrics <laughs> don't age jr of course who is wrestling commentary royalty needing no introduction alex marvez i haven't heard of this guy um yeah there's a reason for that (laughs) ramen will have things to say about him yes i will i may join in uh so but before we get it too into the the pay-per-view itself rom give us some context about AEW. AEW actually began because of uh dave Meltzer, Mm. who some of you may know is a long time wrestling journalist the wrestling observer radio and wrestling observer newsletter are Mm-hmm. arguably the most cited source for wrestling news. Dave has been around for uh, like 30-something years and has connections everywhere, and so everyone kind of knows of him. Someone tweeted at Meltzer in 2017 or 18, basically asking, do you think Ring of Honor will ever sell out a 10,000-seat arena? And Dave responded, simply, not anytime soon. And the Young Bucks, seeing this tweet, who were contracted with the Ring of Honor at the time, tweeted back at Dave, we'll take that bet. And they made a $1 bet that they could partner with Ring of Honor to put together a 10,000-seat pay-per-view, which they did. It was called All In 2018. Cody and the Bucks saw this challenge and decided... We're going to make this real. We're going to make this happen. We think we can do it. We have the cachet. People know our names. We've been around the world. And we did watch and take notes for all in 2018 just for context. So we may release a future special episode, but we decided not to start our podcast with all in 2018 as technically this is not an AEW pay-per-view. But regardless, tell us about a little bit about all in 2018. Yeah, I think it's important because uh, it, it was a massive success. It sold out in about 
30 minutes. It was the largest audience uh, to attend a non-WWE or WCW professional wrestling show in the U.S. since 1993. Wow. Which is stag. Just the, the stat of that is staggering. That's a whole generation. Of, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's both the new generation, the Attitude Era, and the Invasion. Yeah. yeah. The event was attended by 11,263 people, so shattering Dave Meltzer's prediction. Mm-hmm. The rough pay-per-view buy rate of 50,000, which, for comparison, to anyone who's watched TNA before it was Impact, when it was like on Spike TV, that's 10,000 less than TNA's best ever pay-per-view, which featured Samoa Joe versus Kurt Angle. Mm-hmm. So after the pay-per-view was this massive success, the Bucks, uh, as far as I can fo- could find from interviews, the Bucks were pretty much like... Well, this was cool. Let's do another one for Ring of Honor. Sure. And then they get a phone call from from Tony Khan. Tony Khan basically said, "Listen, I got a lot of money. I'm a huge wrestling fan. I've been a wrestling nerd my whole life. There's a video of me in a in an ECW <laughs> video yeah. when I was a child. Huge mark. Huge, huge, mark. huge mark. Huge mark. And at first, uh, they they ignored him. Nick Jackson was like, "I don't. This is not real. We get lots of these all the time. Sure. And Matt. Troll. Yeah. And then finally, after a few phone calls Matt answered him and that became what was the genesis of essentially a new promotion so since from that moment they started planning to put together uh, AEW yeah and so the info the information I could find online um, is that between all in 2018 and the pay-per-view we're covering today double or nothing trademarks on all elite wrestling um, and several other products were filed in Florida on November 5th of 2018 uh, it looks like the official announcement was midnight eastern time uh, January 1st 2019 so it all seems very close in time after the September 1st all in pay-per-view so AEW was born January 1st 2019 yeah I remember at the time being really staggered by how quickly all of this was moving you know the the pay-per-view happened we were all really excited it was a lot of fun I wouldn't say you know in in retrospect it wasn't the best card in the world but it was just such a staggering exciting yeah it was a staggering achievement I had however no idea who the fuck Tony Khan was (laughs) like at all I had never heard this guy's name in my life Tony Khan of the Khan family so I know you did some research on who the cons are I would love to get a little more info I know they own some sports teams that's about it very briefly so Tony Khan is the son of businessman Shahid Khan um, does own some sports teams Uh, he bought the Jacksonville Jaguars an NFL team in 2012 Uh, he also owns uh, the Premier League club Fulham? Oh, I didn't know he owned Fulham. Okay. Yeah, in 2014. So, yeah, soccer. So, it's soccer. Yeah, well, it's it's football. Football. So he hey, loves. Don't, you don't have to tell me. I'm Persian. It's he loves. Fo- it's the football. He loves all the footballs. <laughs> okay. Um. So he again. He is not. Um. He's super rich. Shahid Khan. Oh yeah. Uh, to 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 put a odd like just a simple liner for it. They are five times richer than Vince McMahon. Yeah. Tony also. Um, put out a tweet. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I remember around the second or third year of AEW put out this tweet that's like basically decrying everything about the Saudi family and their connection to it. Not that we want to spend too much time on it. No, but it's we just want something. To be clear that yeah, that's for our someone, I'm, opinion. I I bring it up only as a reflection of my my feelings towards WWE and that connection. Yeah. So that's and I think we can safely say our feelings. Yes, our feelings. Correct. Yeah. But anyways, who else was involved in AEW? Yes. Yeah. So the to- the cons were not. I will say the cons were not the reason this company, um, it's the reason they had money, but I would say the biggest get 
that they had and still have in this company is Chris Jericho. He left WWE after an incredible run with Kevin Owens that he felt in shoot interviews afterwards was not given enough respect by Vince. He also felt that he had done everything in WWE and wanted to move on and, and do different things. And especially he wanted to run, do a run in New Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vince also really hated his match at WrestleMania with Kevin Owens uh, he gave them both real shit about it, even though I think it was fucking astounding. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Owens is a great wrestler. Agree, both of them are, I mean, and they yeah, had Jericho's unbelievable the chemistry goat, together. But yeah, yeah. But the significance of him signing with AEW cannot be understated. I think some people, when it happened, were like, "Okay, it's just Chris Jericho," but. This guy is the greatest wrestler it's in... It's just Chris Jericho? I, yeah. People said that? Yeah, people say that because they still... That's See, this is this is the thing, right? This is why guys like Vince don't like his match because they see him as this eternal mid-carder. Mm-hmm. Even though he is... He's been there forever. He'll forever. be your solid he has, Yeah, exactly. He's at every title. He's at every accolade. He fucking redefined what it was to be a heel. Yeah. So him signing was a huge significance because this guy is the most skilled at reinventing himself and at the time he was in new japan as a completely different character Mm -hmm. the pain maker with this weird joker clown makeup but not like a stanch not like icp style and with this jacket with all the pins on it and all that stuff and completely different and his match in new japan was such a massive i think that actually helped cement him as like not i'm not just a mid carter because he went to new japan and it's he made money for them at Wrestle Kingdom just by being on the card. So his he had a really positive reception yeah, in Japan, though? Yeah, 100%. He had such cachet. Him signing was a big deal, and he tweeted a video of himself with Tony Khan signing the contract together and being like, no, this is real. This is really happening. I'm signing with this company. This is... Re- AEW is a real thing. Yeah. This and is so it was, like a, it was like a shoot video, not like a Jericho? No, nah, no, it's an absolute shoot video. Okay, okay. Um, and so, yeah, so other people involved were the elite, which Obviously, I mentioned. Yeah. Young Bucks and Kenny, um, considered the best in the world in their divisions. JR constantly calls them the best tag team in the world, the Young Bucks. And we will get into how I feel about <laughs> Kenny Omega later. Okay. <laughs> um, Hangman Page is a member of the elite, was this up-and-comer who had significant name for himself while attached to the elite in Ring of Honor in New Japan. I didn't really know who he was at the time, but mm-hmm. I liked his look. Sure. I'd seen him wrestle some matches with the elite. Um, Matt, Matt's wife, Dana Massey, I bring up here um, because she's the current chief marketing and merchandising officer. Um, she runs the merch and creates T-shirts. She's created all the T-shirts for the Young Bucks in the past, or at least most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot of the, like in their early careers, like mailing them out and doing all that stuff. She was a big partner. She's a... the organizational brains. Oh my. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. I don't know what that's like. Um, <laughs> I bring her up here because she is absolutely a part of this. Um, Cody Rhodes. Cody was somebody that I had a lot of familiarity with. Brandy Rhodes, who is his wife. Mm-hmm. And at the time was the chief brand officer. Uh, Dana was the chief marketing officer. And until Brandy left and in kayfabe is running the women's division. Mm-hmm. Which I we will talk about. Uh, because, I think once we get there, yeah, because yeah, it's the only member of the staff that's like a quote unquote authority figure. Christopher Daniels, who uh, people will know from TNA if they watched it back in the day, and Ring of Honor and New Japan, head of talent relations, still currently head of talent relations. QT Marshall, who was somebody I don't know at all until until AEW, but he is heavily involved in the training of up and comers and producing matches. Mm-hmm. And is he still involved with the company? He is, yeah. yes. Powerhouse Hobbs and all the QT uh-huh. TV. And stuff like that. Yeah. Um, And and for commentary, (laughs) JR, Excalibur, Tony Schiavone. 
Tony fucking Schiavone. He's not... So listen, I know Tony's not on this card, but I need to talk about Tony Schiavone. Sure, give us a little rundown. Because when I was a child and watching WWE and dissing WCW because I ate up all that shit like a spoonful, Tony Schiavone was the worst fucking commentator I had ever heard in my life. I could not stand listening to him. those are some strong emotions. I didn't like him until... I watched him in AEW, and I have the biggest mea culpa for that guy. Yeah. It was WCW's fault. Yeah. It was not him. <laughs> it was the company, and the shit he had to say. Yeah. I will. The passion comes I through. love Tony Schiavone to death. Yeah, he's such a great a mea, commentator. Great I, commentator. 2023 Cali loves him, too. So. I, I love him deeply, so I, I have that mea culpa. But for tonight, we have JR, Excalibur, and, <laughs> and Marvez, which oh, we'll get it's to. Right. Well, just keep. It's all right. Ugh. Deep breaths. Deep breaths about Marv. I'm. I really hope I'm not the only person who feels this way after like from watching this Maybe, show. Maybe yeah, we'll, because because we'll our... he's never on commentary again, and if there's someone, a goddamn reason for if it. If someone shares the same opinion, maybe we'll put our email yeah. in the in the yeah uh, info the show notes or like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, give us something. And finally, John Moxley. Very exciting. Yeah, very and very important to note because. His debut in this at the end of this pay per view, I think, really set a tone for what's going to happen with oh this. My God. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Was yeah. Oh. So what was AEW? AEW comes on the scene. What are they promising to be? It's twofold. From the from the backstage perspective, they're promising good money equivalent to WWE uh, or more, depending. Mm-hmm. A much lighter schedule, which even now with three shows, even and doing house shows, still true. A much more modern style of wrestling, which is 14A with blood, mm-hmm. with adult storytelling with swear words, but not being the Attitude Era. Just acknowledging that wrestling is viewed by adults. Sure. And yeah, I think that that's kind of in the vein of like what I thought was happening. I'm sure other people, sort of the Disneyfication of WWE. And I think that was kind of, yeah, I think that's maybe not a theme of this podcast, but certainly something that I think will come up. They were promising no more scripted promos. Mm Mm-hmm. Guys are going to go out, they're going to get some help, but they're going to go out there and they're going to be themselves. Sure. Tag wrestling is going to be important. And I mean, when you guys have, when you have guys like the Bucks and Lucha Bros and Pac, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to, we're going to get into that in the podcast because there uh-huh. are some good tag matches. Hell here. yes. Yes. Um, and sig- most significantly, wins and losses will actually matter. So this is, I think the, the part I didn't talk about and the, the thing I forgot about WWE at the time. They were really notorious for every match ending in a fuck finish. Either a DQ or mm-hmm, insane messy. interference to the point where the ref would have to be blind, deaf, and dumb. Because they didn't want anyone to lose because, in their opinion, a loss meant you went down the card. And if you lost, how can we sell you as a winner? Money, 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 money. That's but, all the WWE I, is about. But it's in not, my no, I, no, I don't think it was even that. I think it's the fact that. Vin- I don't want to psychoanalyze the guy, but the guy is like, it's a very insecure style of booking. In your opinion. In my opinion, to be like, hey, like Orange Cassidy can never lose or he'll, everyone will see him as a loser if he loses once. Yeah. It's a very, that's ridiculous. Very like dichotomous way of looking at wrestling. It's such a black and white way of looking at booking. Um, And, AEW at the time promised that's not going to happen. We're going to have definitive matches with definitive winners. Wins and losses are going to matter. We're going to have a record for it. We don't know what we're going to do with that record yet, and that's something we are definitely going to talk about as we go Um, because kayfabe numbers are hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those were significant changes. Okay. And I was very excited for all of that, especially wins and losses mattering because I was so, so tired 
of every match ending in some schmas or some DQ because we got to push to the next week. Yeah, like you want every pay per view is pushing to the next show and every show is pushing to the next pay per view and it's like no somewhere along the line somebody's got to win and lose. Yeah, so like you want to be entertained, but there you also there's sports involved as well. In the, yes, and in sports sport. people win or lose. Yes, so I would say those are those are some significant differences. Yeah. So in terms of the timeline of how AEW comes beaming into our TV sets, <laughs> um, in April, May 2019, uh, there's confirmation that there will be a two-hour show that would air live on TNT, but there were no details oh given beyond that. The fact that it was on TNT blew my mind. Yeah, why is that? Because WCW used to be on TBS. Mm. It was on Turner Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Turner had went after all these years and we're like yeah we want to bring wrestling back to this company after what the fuck happened yeah but it's still you know what they wanted they saw the money it's, in no it. I, I agree yeah. um and then in june of 2019 aw filed an additional trademark for wednesday night dynamite um i think among other things as well and then july 13 2019 jericho announces that there's going to be an aw tv show that will air in october but again that no real specifics and then about a week later july 24th the first show is announced uh, reportedly sells about 9,200 tickets in two hours, uh, despite uh, Ticketmaster's best efforts to completely drop the ball, as they are sometimes known to do. I heard about do. that. Yeah, I remember this now. You bring it up. Uh, but anyways, uh, we're not quite there yet for the first episode of Dynamite. Oh, on to Double or Nothing 2019. All right, match number one. SoCal Uncensored, SCU versus Stronghearts. Yeah, so we have a six-man tag match. Uh, SCU is Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian. 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 And Scorpio Sky. My boy. <laughs> I will say I have seen Daniels wrestle. I'm not sure who uh, the other two two wrestlers are. And then for the Stronghearts, we have Shima. I think it's Sima. Sima. Well, it's spelled Sima, but they say Shima. Do they say Shima? Okay, anyway. Anyways, um, and then T-Hawk and El Lindemann. Uh, so this is the Japanese contingent from Oriental Wrestling Entertainment, or OWE, which is, I believe, a Chinese company. Ramin, can you give me some more? Yeah, so OWE doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. It was created in 2017 by Dragon Fu. Sima was, at the time, I believe Excalibur mentioned that he was teaching Shaolin monks in oh, wrestling. Cool. Uh, as part of OWE. Um, unfortunately, like so many companies, OWE became a victim of COVID mm. and went under. The Chinese government pulled their funding um, during the pandemic. And after that, they tried to move the promotion to Cambodia, um, but things didn't really work out. And they moved it to Japan, but the cards were pretty much just Sima and a few of his crew and other local Japanese wrestlers with none of the Chinese talents. So after running a few shows in Japan, Sima and his crew left the company and most of the Chinese wrestlers at this point have left the business but some still wrestle for local promotions in China so disappointing but it's still nice to see that at the time they were at least trying to bring wrestling to China yeah no global phenomenon um, I mean my first impressions of uh, all of these wrestlers here as they're coming out uh, the strong hearts are looking ripped and ready to fight I, <laughs> I I'm gonna be commenting a lot on their gear because I'm very into design and stuff sure. like that and I love me a tassel look and uh, I believe it, it was Shima yes. um, he had the tassels on his shorts kind of mid thigh and yeah he had them and it, it made them look like actual pants because yeah. they were connected it was over the knee pads very cool and tassel provide a lot of movement so I, I love their gear they look ready to fight um, SCU they kind of have this angry heel look to me as the match starts the commentary 
starts talking about the rules of tag wrestling in AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some couple of significant uh, changes. The number one being that um, in most wrestling matches, if you are not the legal man, you will get a five count to get out of the ring. Okay. In AEW, it's a ten count. Okay. Um, now this may seem like an uh, insignificant change, but the fact is that the tag wrestling in AEW is often so high speed and so in and out mm-hmm. that having five seconds is not enough time just to do spots. Right. So um, the so it benefits the the pacing of the match benefits from yes, a ten count. Yes. SCU opens with a promo because mm-hmm. you have Daniels and Kazarian and Scorp. And something we'll talk about as as the show goes on is the significance of being the elite YouTube show to the booking right. of not just this pay-per-view, but all of AEW in general. Mm-hmm. SCU, for those uninitiated, was a group uh, that I found out about through watching BTE. They would come to a new town every week and they would say, this is the worst town I have <laughs> ever been in. <laughs> because it's not SoCal. Right. And, of course. And the crowd eats it up. Right. And so you. they did that here. Uh, they say, this is the worst town that I've ever. And then he puts the mic up and they say, been in because we suck. <laughs> yeah. Kayfabe. <laughs> woo. <laughs> Kaz and Daniels are both veterans who became popular primarily due to their time in TNA wrestling. That's where I knew them from. They feuded together, tagged together, and everything between at this point. And then Scorpio joined them in about 2017 at Ring of Honor Final Battle. And they formed SoCal Uncensored. Okay. And so they've been sort of going around at this tag team until since that. Chris Daniels does a Fetty Mercury, which Callie Pop. Woo! Hell yeah! Um, Don't Stop Me Now is, it should be everyone's favorite Queen song. So the match starts, and Seema and Daniels start the match with a fish out of water spot, both trying to do um, arm drags at each other, which uh, was cool. And then they stand up in the middle of the ring and stand off. Okay, hang on. Before we get yeah. too into this, explain the fish out of water term because I actually just learned this one from you recently and maybe there are people out there who didn't know there was a term for this. So, so what's a fish out of water I, I don't know why it's called that. Um, essentially, it's when two wrestlers do similar or mirroring moves to or at each other and block each other from doing them and then they stand up and face off. Mm-hmm. And this is to show that they are on an equal footing, that you know they have each other's number or... This is someone that you shouldn't underestimate. Right, right. Um, I always love the fish out of water spot when it's done right. Um, it can be exciting. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And it's it's a great way to show parody, um, especially for guys like the OWE guys who you don't really know. It's in a very quick way uh, of taking relative unknowns and efficiently showing off what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. And showing that they can stand up to SEU. Yes. Scorpio Sky gets tagged in, who became very quickly my future of the business from this pay-per-view, I remember thinking at the time. He has incredible speed and precision and power for someone who's arguably the least amount, has the least amount of ring time from everyone in the group. He's just had a lot of poise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lindemann does a is such a throwback for me actually with his like basic shoes and no knee pads, no elbow pads. Yeah. This is like very Cody Rhodes twenty was, early Cody Rhodes. I think looking. he was one of the standouts for me. He's got really fast footwork. You know, he's kind of built like a brick shit house. Yes. I really love his speed. I agree, and I, I it's funny. I think that look has, gives a real sense of like intimidation aura. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like unbeatable. I don't need, I don't like, need all this adornment and fancy yeah, shit who, to fucking fuck block you up. my elbows. My elbow is your nightmare, <laughs> asshole. Like. Yeah, so I, I've always thought that that look is, if you can pull it off, I don't think Cody Rhodes pulled it off, but if you can pull it off, it's great. Mm-hmm. If there's any criticism I have of SCU in this match, is that they all kind of wrestle somewhat similarly, other than Scorpio. It does 
you know, allow them to do some fun triple team moves, like tagging, uh, like we're doing repeated leg drops where they keep tagging mm-hmm, themselves mm-hmm. in. Um, but I don't know that any of them really showed what made them unique or brought what each of them brought to the team mm, so much. So you kind of see uh, them as one unit. Yes, which isn't a bad thing. Sure. But when you have someone like Scorpio Sky, who's very different from the other two, it's it a little odd out. where they don't stand out mm, and when they mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. SCU takes over from most of the opening of the match, but then Stronghearts isolates Daniels, and he's the most senior guy in the ring, yeah. so that makes a lot of sense. Stronghearts are showing equal skill in team moves as SCU, using their numbers to keep the ring cut off mm. from Daniels and keep him from making a tag all of the owe guys show a lot of poise in my opinion not and one of them really seemed like they were super nervous or Mm -hmm. thinking about their spots so much as let's not injure the next guy which is really impressive yeah i i 100 agree on that i think that there's some great wrestling skill here you know we see el lindemann he gets a really solid german suplex um pin attempt on scorpio sky yeah it was a deadlifter yeah and then the energy match really stays high when t-hawk and daniels tag in i believe there was i I made a note of a double lariat again i still struggle with the wrestling moves y'all so but (laughs) but the energy of the match really stayed high and i love that so agreed agreed t-hawk does a very impressive STF-like into a crossface, and Sima telegraphed a back body drop from Scorpio Sky. This is, I love Scorpio. So he he gets thrown into a back body drop. He telegraphs, Sima telegraphs, and Scorpio reverses it by jumping and double stomping right onto his back. I don't know that I've ever really seen that. It yeah. was very athletic. You you popped for that I one. popped that hard really for that. really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Scorp goes for his STO finisher, but Stronghearts uh, stop him and do a flurry of moves. They get, and I can't remember exactly who did what, but there was a, an Enziguri to a backdrop into a straight German by Lindemann. That guy's hip strength is hey, freaking insane. He was the, honestly, he was the standout for me in this match Al Lindemann Kaz uh, eventually gets some heat going and does an O'Connor roll on Sima and then Germans T-Hawk who is legal while holding the roll on Sima and gets a near count on both of them <laughs> yeah. amazing amazing <laughs> your boy your boy my boy no well Scorpion but I love Kaz I yeah. do love oh Kaz. wait sorry that was Kaz yeah SCU ultimately wins the match when Kaz and Scorp, Tope, Lindemann, and T-Hawk take them out of the match. And then uh, Daniels hits the best Meltzer ever, uh, which I want to explain what the Meltzer is. Tell me. I don't. So, I have no idea. So the Young Bucks have a finisher called the Meltzer Driver, sure. which is basically someone holds you in like a tombstone position. Okay. And then another guy does a top rope move on them. Okay. So, so the Young Bucks will do a somersault. And then like yeah. push down on the on the pile driver essentially. Right. But holding them in that crotch to face position is a Meltzer. Okay. So can I ask why you why it's called that? Because Dave. it's a joke on Dave Meltzer. Okay. To suck my dick. Oh. <laughs> dick joke. Well, it wasn't really a joke, but, but kind of. Yeah. <laughs> we could go into that territory, but we won't. Anyways. Sorry. <laughs> no. Explain, privately. We'll explain go privately. the Meltzer position. Yeah. So that's the Meltzer position. The best Meltzer ever is someone holding the Meltzer position while. Christopher Daniels does his best moonsault ever. Ah, so this would be the best melter. Fin- that was his finisher. Yes. So they get a they get the three count from that. Really hot opener. So this was a really hot opening match, and it tried to set, I think, multiple tones for AEW. So Rom, what are some of those tones that this match tried to set? Yeah, I think it really. Um, for a company that wants to focus on tag wrestling, I think it it showed this is what the speed and pace and maneuver sets of our tag wrestling is going to look like. Um, I think it showed international talent that's going to be on this roster that will be presented as Mm -hmm. equal or challenging and skilled to the people on the main roster. But ultimately, their main roster guys are going to be the ones you're there to see. Sure. So what was your highlight for this? Because I I know you were really popping for... 
um, honestly, yeah, I think El Lindemann was the the highlight for me for sure. What about you? I mean, Scorpio, always Scorpio. Oh, I when I first saw this, um, I was very you know, it's a Persian guy. I'm always gonna you know, representation matters, and for me, non-white wrestlers are always gonna they're gonna get more that, interest from me. That visibility, that is visibility important. is important to me, and so a guy like Scorp comes in with a lot of athleticism and a lot of this sort of smooth energy, mm-hmm. I'm going to be into that. Yeah. And his moves in the match, despite not being really featured as much as the other guys, stuck. St- he didn't seem to be underneath anybody. He was keeping pace with everybody. Mm-hmm. And, it was very and especially because he's he's partnered with more experienced wrestlers. Yeah, he, yes, exactly. He's very clearly had learned a lot from them in his yeah. short time with them. Match two... Um, we have Ali, who is now wrestling as the bunny, uh, who comes on commentary for this match because it's a women's match. So, you know, we need a woman here, right? Do we? <laughs> what the? <laughs> <laughs> no, match two. Kylie Ray versus Nyla Rose versus Dr. Britt Baker. DMD. And a surprise entrant. Awesome Kong. Awesome Kong. <laughs> Oh my god, but before we get that, you're right, Allie is brought onto commentary to help commentate on this match, to which Excalibur mentions her outfit, and that she cle- her, she was in a beautiful dress, sure, to be fair. Sure, The bunny looking. is gorgeous. Um, Excalibur mentions her outfit, and that she missed the memo about blazers. Of course, I missed what he said for the first time, because he said it directly into her cleavage. <laughs> yeah, we can see you behind that mask, yeah, Excalibur. Yeah, like, it doesn't block your eyeline, dumbass. <laughs> So yeah, that uh, she I think she's great on call. No, no, she was great. I don't think she did anything <laughs> poor at all. Uh, what what are the stakes of the match? Yeah, so this was booked initially as a three way match, and again, spoiler surprise, four way match with Brandy Rhodes um, announcing Awesome Kong as the fourth wrestler because she wants an awesome match. Of course, these wrestlers um, I know Nyla Rose and Britt Baker from watching AEW in 2023. The other two, admittedly, I don't really know a lot about. So. Kylie Ray, she comes up first. Truly my kind of energy as a babyface wrestler. Absolutely. This, this is, is you. If anyone you were a wrestler, knows me, it would be you. It's true. So I checked her out online. Um, she is wrestling at Independent Promotions, uh, wrestled in New Japan in twenty October 2022. She is taking time off to have Aww. her first baby. Yeah, she she's married to Isaiah Velasquez, who is another Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So congratulations, uh, Kylie. Um, And then Nyla Rose, still uh, AEW roster talent in 2023. Um, Of course, she'd been wrestling in the indies since 2013, and she signed with AEW in 2019. I think by this point, she was already signed. Um, I learned recently that she is the first transgender woman to do a lot of things in professional wrestling. So uh, first to sign a contract with a major U.S. promotion, uh, first transgender woman to win a world championship in a major U.S. promotion, um, you know, as a non-binary trans person. I am very grateful for the this kind of trans visibility in sports, um, you know, similar to, to you, Rom, where you say, you know, I want that visibility for persons mm-hmm. of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love it queer joy it's it's great um and then dr Britt baker 
I do before you move to Brit, I do want to say yeah. some things about Nyla because sure. I I also agree with you. I I think Nyla's place in twenty twenty three on the card is tragic. Um I think she should be far mm-hmm. more promoted. She hasn't been really yeah. s- and you featured know, in a long time. And that you bring that in it's funny that you bring that up because I don't think this is something we were meaning to discuss and maybe we can get into it. But I had noticed that too because for me watching the women's card in twenty twenty three, Nyla is very mid to like I don't I'm not that excited about her right why like, would you be yeah so I, I i agree with that and i think that's something maybe we should talk well, and about I mean, when, when when they came here she was the dark match yeah like, what yeah. the fuck was that she did yeah. like a 10 minute not even 10 minutes and like it a, was like a, squi- a squash yeah, match yeah like a three minute squash yeah match. Like, yeah what? What? but anyways we'll talk i think we'll talk more a bit about Nia yeah Rose. But, yes so Britt baker is she a real dentist <laughs> yes She got her Doctor of Dental Medicine, her Mm. DMD, Mm -hmm. from the University of Pittsburgh in 2018. Pity city. Hell yeah. She signed to AEW in 2019. I think she was the first woman to sign with AEW. Uh, I believe so, yeah, actually. Yeah, so she does does work at a private dental practice in Florida. Um, She's apparently a bit of a rainmaker there because wrestling fans will book with her to try and get like a picture, Mm -hmm, an autograph. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, well, we want to help you with your dental needs. So like, please come back after you get your autograph. Yeah. She also helps a lot of wrestlers too yeah sure yeah i mean that's a great great uh thing to have so um i love that she has a career outside of wrestling you know something to to fall back on though she did very recently announce because this is not to date stamp this but she did announce recently that she's going to take a walk back from dental dentistry to focus on wrestling honestly and she should she's a great wrestler i agree Um, yeah again she started wrestling in 2015 um just after enrolling in in the school of dentistry and like i will say um i've gone you know i have a professional degree and it was fucking hard i can't imagine doing wrestling and dentistry school like learning both of those things at the same it's time. a lot That's, like forget wrestling and doing it learning, learning wrestling, wrestling and doing it fucking crazy yeah so she worked with ring of honor i do not have that in me <laughs> i don't like i'm not that person <laughs> Uh, anyway, she worked with Ring of Honor, IWC. Uh, she did have a jobber match against Nia Jax on uh, Raw. I believe that's when she broke her nose. You... <laughs> no, no, no. no oh. The nose break happened in AEW. Oh, okay. Though I'm surprised Nia didn't break something else. Although on her no, it seemed she's like it's... notorious for murdering. It seemed like there was some information her. where yeah, her nose got maybe a little messed up there, and then when it broke, Nia was... injured someone. What a shock. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, and you had mentioned uh, in one of your notes that uh, Britt could break your teeth and give you a I th- referral. I think it was either Excalibur or JR who said that, that she could break your teeth and give you a referral. Yeah. Excellent, excellent commentary. Yeah, it was good. We'll talk about it tonight, but the commentary tonight, other than Marvez, is fucking on point. Oh yeah, we're, we're going to get into yeah. a few. Okay. Um, but before the match starts, Brandy Rhodes comes out. You yeah. got three women in the ring, and they're about to ring the bell, and then Brandy Rhodes' music hits. Now, Brandy is kayfabe running the women's division Mm -hmm. and one of the things AEW promised would never happen on this show I should have said that's the thing I forgot earlier no authority figures right none that that trope is done right it's old the authority has been played out it played out as fuck never gonna happen so here comes Brandy Rhodes the authority authority figure. figure but Brandy comes out dressed to wrestle and I think this was she smart. Didn't look so to this is the thing. I think I this thought was, she was going to wrestle. The, I think everyone else did too because they were like, "Oh, they're just going to be on TV all the time now that she's running the division." So Brandy comes out and she's like, "I wanted this match to be awesome. So we're going to add a fourth member." Awesome Kong's music hits and I freak out. You I completely forgot she was in this match. Yeah, and I have no idea who Awesome Kong is. So tell me about Awesome Kong. Awesome Kong has been wrestling since 2002. When, like, 
so many women in wrestling in those days. Right. She was inspired to become a wrestler watching Lita. What a badass, right? was my bae. Right. Um, she wrestled all over the world, including Ring of Honor, New Japan, Shimmer, TNA, um, and an, even an extremely short stint in WWE where she got pregnant right when she got signed, basically. And so she was on TV for like a couple weeks and then left. Mm. Um, on her own accord, as far as I know. Okay. There wasn't any sort of like evil heat with, with yeah, WWE okay. about that. It was just a in the 2000s, while WWE was having bra and panties matches and mud <laughs> wrestling and hot lesbian action. Let's objectify the women who want oh, to wrestle. God. Uh, TNA, I can't believe I'm I mean, upset. it is entertainment I to honestly, go on a I honestly level, can't believe I'm... There's know, several things, like I'm, there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance. I'm so like, lucky I didn't get warped by all of this. <laughs> I'm entertained, but also... Horrified. Yeah. Um, yeah, so TNA and Ring of Honor at the time we're moving women's wrestling forward way before WWE's mm. revolution bullshit. Women like Awesome Kong and Gail Kim were the best wrestlers in North America, both having periods in WWE, both of them doing the best work outside of the company. Mm-hmm. And like TNA's knockouts division was probably the only good thing on that show other than the X division. And that was the women's division? Yes. Um, and just calling them knockouts versus like divas. Divas. Ugh. We won't get into Ugh. that this podcast. No, let's, let's not. fucking not. Um... <laughs> So when the match starts, so Kong gets in the ring. The whole crowd is fucking amazed. Uh-huh. No one saw this coming. I was freaking out. I love Awesome Kong. If you've never seen, I can't describe the size and power of this woman. Yeah, you need to watch her impre- wrestle. It's impressive. So the match starts with Nyla and Kong squaring off. Yeah. And I mean, there's lots of the power spots as expected. You know, I think the best example, I don't think that's at the beginning, but DMD and Kylie are trying to flip Nyla Rose off the turnbuckle and then Awesome Kong comes in and body slams all three of them. It was just such an impressive display. It's a Tower of Doom spot is what they call it. Tower of Doom. So yeah, Kylie and and DMD are trying to superplex uh, uh, Nyla and then Awesome Kong comes and just power bombs everybody. It was such a cool spot. So awesome. Um, The Tower of Doom always over. Um, Britt and Kylie do spend most of this match either reversing or trying to take out the bigger women Um, but they do have moments together as well yeah and you know what I thought I was really impressed by uh, Britt Baker's uh, ring awareness and her skill at keeping Awesome Kong out of the ring I agree with you her presence in this match like she wasn't all over the match, but she was everywhere she needed to be. Yeah, at all and times. there was I, I, there was two occasions that I pinpointed um, that really demonstrate this. The first one is really early in the match. Um, you know, she's able to use uh, momentum to roll Kong out over the top rope, uh, which allows for Kylie and DMD to have some time to fight each other. You know, they both get the pinfall attempts. DMD is kind of like mocking Kylie's optimism, mm-hmm. to which I'm like. Fuck you, Brit. Um, <laughs> even though I love you. Yeah, even though I even though I am a, a Brit Baker fan. Um, and then the second occasion is kind of like mid to late match. Um, awesome Kong tries an awesome bomb on DMD, mm-hmm. uh, but DMD is able to punch her way out. She lands. I think how you keep calling her DMD instead of Brit. It's Brit, just... yeah. I sorry, that's just no, in my notes. Fu- no, it's funny. I like um, it. So she's able to punch her way out of that. It's very professional. Uh, she lands a super kick on Kong, which kind of knocks her off her balance, and then. That allows Kylie, who's in the ring, to follow up with a second kick, and Kong is out of the ring, and um, Britt Baker, DMD, and Kylie are back in the ring. Yeah, and and honestly, to your point, I think Britt 
who probably I think has the least experience out of everyone here as of 2019 as of 2019 yeah. in this match she is really her timing and placement are very very good mm-hmm. um, her selling at this point wasn't where it is now but she she never really missed a spot and I don't think there's a single botch in this match at all really yeah no it was a really smooth match um, you know all of the wrestlers I think we both agreed that Nyla Rose is so athletically athletically impressive. impressive yes does not get the credit she deserves mm-hmm. um Nyla gets up for a double superplex. Yeah, no, this is my Tower of Down. Yeah, Tower of Doom spot oh, that yes. you mentioned before. But um, the, it got a standing ovation from the crowd, mm-hmm. which like women's wrestling did not get. Crowd, yeah, the crowd was so hyped for these wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think because I mean this this pay per view, they were gonna love everything. Yeah, but I do I do believe for the most part that this this crowd wants the women to succeed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then even that spot where Britt gets her gets Kong out of the ring, you see Nyla out of the ring as well. Yeah. Um, and then we see also like in the spot that I talked about where Britt and Kylie are able to get Kong out of the ring, Nyla mm. is also out of the ring. Yes, yeah, and she yes. So she this is the this is the stair spot where she yeah. Britt gives two super kicks to to Kong, who then backs into the stairs, and Nyla fucking spears the shit out of her mm-hmm. into those stairs. Like so hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it was, was looked brutal. <sighs> Man, Kong like I will give Kong credit for someone at that age who did not need to do this much. Yeah. She could have just shown up and big showed it, right. and everyone would have been over it, right? She was like into it, but she spots. got, she took bumps for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like Nyla and Kong did dominate a lot of this match. I will say because of their size and just their cachet. Um, I am glad Kylie and Britt got to do some brief spots together on their own to show their chain wrestling and their agility outside of trying to take out the big women. Yeah, and again, they kind of do, again, that, that second spot that I mentioned for, for Britt's ring awareness, mm-hmm. um, that allows for Kylie and Britt to have that back and forth um, later in the match. And mm-hmm. then I think Britt gets, um, I think it was a swinging leg breaker on Kylie. I know, it was, it was a cool move. I think it was a dragon whip, yeah. I, I had it li- written down as a cool move. I, I also agree. I think Kylie also, who um, I think probably was the relative unknown, because mm-hmm. to be fair, Britt Breaker at this point is still like either married or dating Adam Cole. Mm-hmm. So it's not like people didn't know who she was. Like yeah. insiders knew who she sure, was or whatever. Sure. Kylie was a new, of all of them, I would say Kylie was the unknown for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not expect her to fucking deadlift German Britt Baker from the floor. Mm-hmm. Like, that was amazing. She has so much strength for someone in that frame, you would not expect it at all. It was a really exciting yeah. spot. Um, Britt wins, ultimately, with a, a somewhat sloppy Ushigoroshi, which is a suplex into, uh, which where you drop the person uh down on your knee as uh-huh. a neck breaker. Uh-huh. Um, I've never seen this move as a finisher, and she also didn't do it great. Um, she, the suplex was fine, but when she dropped Kylie, it was either a non-confidence of how to do it correctly or uh, just okay. a slip or something. You but saw it doesn't some hesitation. Yeah, there. it doesn't nail it quite. You know, I mean, it's hard because the only other person I've seen really do it is AJ Styles, who's uh-huh. like the best at everything. Right. So I'm not comparing her to that <laughs> by any means. It's just not a mad move you usually see as a finisher, and I feel like it was kind of like. Britt was like, okay, I want to do this. Let's, can right. we do this? And they were like, okay, yeah, sure. And like, can I ask why, why you don't see it as a finishing move? I've never seen it used oh, okay. as a finisher. So maybe it used, maybe it was one of those moves that used to be, and I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I could absolutely mm-hmm. claim ignorance. Um, but I've only ever seen it done as like a, either a near fall or as a neck breaker, not as like 
this is a move that will knock you out. Mm-hmm. It'll okay. just hurt a lot. Fair. And to okay. build up to the next uh, okay. spot. Okay. So or it's whatever. not something that's gonna like yeah stun yeah. you into into. Okay. Well, were you sports entertained? Oh, I was absolutely. This was a very entertaining match. Um, a great way to show the potential of the women in this roster and the diversity of the women in this roster. One thing I will give to Jr. You know, everyone, lots of you, especially this day and age, likes to shit on Jr.'s mm. uh, odd. Old timey man's old man. All right, grandpa. Old grandpa sexism, which he doesn't mean, but it's sure. it's unintentional, but it's there. it's there. But to his credit, he calls Nyla. She, he 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 gives her all of the correct correct pronouns. He never brings it up. He just talks about her athleticism and her skill. And AEW almost never touches on her transgender status. Well, I didn't status. even know. I didn't right, even know. exactly. And I and I love that. I absolutely love that. They. I, I was very worried. I remember being terrified for her. Because this is wrestling. Yeah. How do you present this? Sure. And they just did they it. They just did it. And I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And JR really shows like the love of the sport because yes. she does have that. Love of yeah. Sport, and he so. and he really enjoys her wrestling, which was great. Yeah. Um, so at this point in the pay-per-view, um, you know, there's a cut to some backstage shots of Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. For the I had to event. go to the bathroom quickly. Yeah. A little bathroom break before we get into match Three, which is yeah. best friends versus Jack Evans and Angelico. 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 Yes, despite not being spelled like that. <laughs> yeah, so this is another tag match. The players in this match, um, again, I do know who the best friends are. Um, they're still AEW talent. Um, I think we're going to be discussing them in a later podcast. Yeah, because they're they're in much more significant matches later on. Yeah. So I think okay. it'll be more interesting to talk about them then. And then we have Jack Evans and Angelico. I haven't heard of either of these guys. What do you know about them? Um, I don't know a ton. I first saw them both in Lucha Underground, actually, oh. um, which if no one knows what that is, look it up because it's hard to describe. But it has some amazing wrestling on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just booked so strangely. Um, and I will say I've heard of Lucha Underground. I think I've watched maybe the first episode. I think that would be a fun, like, uh, side, um, quest. Side, cast, side quest. Side quest going into this because a lot of the guys on the on in AEW are actually like even Mm -hmm. AR Fox right Mm -hmm. was in Lucha Underground so uh, that's who I know them I remember at the time being very worked by how much I hate both of them Uh, Jack Evans is an incredibly talented guy who I hope never to see his face ever because I want to hit it so badly and Angelico just everything about the way the guy moves and just exists makes uh, me want to kill him yeah. I hate him so much so my, my first impression stupid little dance down the ring oh I hate it I hate it so much yeah my, my first impressions are um, you know the best friends they're looking hype um, Angelico's hair <laughs> is a crime even by 2011 standards that's it really is, funny it is just emo hair done badly in my opinion it is it's like someone tried to give him like bangs but then they forgot the other side of his head I and you know what I hate his gear too it's like a neon yellow black flamed onesie it's just it's just no yeah Um, it's a no for us yeah Jack Evans though he I, I he looks pretty agile you know he does a handstand walk down the ramp um, you know, he's currently 41 years old, and I'm currently that's impressed cr- by that. That's very impressive. Yeah, I did not I'm know impressed. he was that old. Yeah, so... so Wait, he's 41, 40 in this match? I think I think he's 41 net currently, Okay, all so right, all right, all right. math... Still, that's, I mean, he's like 37. Yeah, yeah. like, that's pretty fucking agile yeah. for, for that. Like, can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that now. Um, <laughs> so, getting into the match. Yeah, so... Um, when the match opens, the best friends go for their signature hug spot, um, where they hug in the ring and the camera goes mm-hmm. all Kazuchika Okada on them. Um, but they get drop kicks for their efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evans and Angelico 
are starting the match very quickly and impressively, uh, despite my hatred for them. Um, they are incredible wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I will give them that. Evans does a double stomp on Trent and lands into a handspring flip, which is just like, you impressive son of a bitch. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it, it looked really cool. Uh, then, but then, that's not it. He then does a four, standing 450 splash while because Angelico uses his hands to give him like a foot boost. Yeah, so they're like using each other to, yeah. to land these moves. So is this kind of like the Lucha Libre wrestling style? Like are these like the techniques that we'd see that are common from like the AAA or Lucha Underground? I don't know that I would say that necessarily. Um, it's very athletic, and I think there are a lot of Western wrestlers who also wrestle this way. Certainly, it has some... Um, these guys are very mixed-style wrestlers, which mm. is very cool. They've wrestled in very different environments around the world, so there are aspects of Lucha that are certainly probably in their mm-hmm. movesets, but I don't know that I would be able to speak to that. Okay. No, I was well. just curious, because no, I don't absolutely. know a lot of those. Lucha is more of a dance. It has that combat sport element yeah. to it, but yeah. it's much more coordinated. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, so later on, these guys become a tag team called the hybrid two. So I'm just going to call them hybrid for now on. Um, they keep hybrid keeps Trent, uh, isolated for quite a long time. Um, and Trent and Chuck, I will say Trent is a much more of a powerhouse despite Mm -hmm. him being leaner than Chuck. Um, Chuck, if honestly, if I was to look at Chuck Taylor and be like, do I want him as a tag, as my tag partner? Fuck no. Like, if I just looked (laughs) at him, his body just doesn't look like somebody who has cardio. Mm -hmm. But if you see him wrestle, he's very deceptively fast and agile Mm -hmm. and very strong. Um, You don't expect that kind of speed out of Chuck. Uh, They, and Helico and Evans isolate Trent for a long time, um, but he finally gets a tag to Chuck, who eventually puts Helico down outside with uh, Salido del Sol. Then he gives Evans a tornado DDT off of that. So again, his speed is very deceptive. Um, after he clears the ring, we do finally get the best friend hug spot. Ah, pop for the best friend hug spot. Everybody loves it. <laughs> yeah, male, non-toxic male friendship. How hug, about that? Hug it out. Hug it out. Uh, best friends do a really impressive double team move where Chuck throws an helico from a razor's edge into a cutter from Trent for a near fall. I always love the razor's edge position. I mm-hmm. love that move. Uh, if you do it right, you can make it look devastating without hurting anybody. Uh, it looked uh, it looked like it was done pretty safely. Yeah. There. Not to be outdone, though, Evans gets superplexed up by Angelico, turns his body mid-air, and splashes onto Trent for another close near fall. Yeah, this is the crowd. Like, crowd's really heating up at this point. We're getting AEW chants. Yeah, because, like, I, like we said earlier, this is very different from the previous tag match. Yeah, and what was a really exciting spot for me, Angelico does a crucifix bomb yeah. on Trent. So he carries him from corner to corner. It just looks cool, but also, you know, having, you know, exercise myself it seems like such a strain your arms and your shoulders so it's really athletically impressive especially for a guy who looks like my height um it was immediately followed up by an exciting near far where evans does a 640 senton which was so impressive but chuck broke up the pin that was a very like you see like ricochet doing shit like that yeah this is awesome yes 100 percent. this is the first of many this is awesome chance yeah people decry i don't know if it was the first but it's the one i have noted for this match i think oh for this match for sure Ultimately, it's it's not actually that long a match uh, for the pace that they have, probably because they want to save for the Bucks and Lucha Bros. Mm-hmm. Best friends do win with a tag team cruncher. Um, very exciting match. It really showed the sort of um, why the 10 count's important, mm-hmm. um, shows the diversity in the division with these two tag teams who wrestle very differently but clearly have great chemistry together. They, yeah, they did. It did. And you, I think you kind of alluded to this, but you think it set itself apart from that triple threat tag match that we saw. Um, well, it has less men. No, um, <laughs> no. I, I just mean, like, I think that dynamic does change the way 
it, they did a lot more cutting off the ring. Um, you know, they did that to Daniels a bit in the triple mm-hmm, threat, but mm-hmm. there's less opportunities for breaking up pins, more near falls, crazier flips, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and and yeah, Kaz and Kaz and Kaz and Daniels are much older too. Right. So right. Um, if they, but yeah, like you're saying, if this is the future of tag wrestling in the division, then it's a bright future for now. Uh, until uh, speaking of brightness, yeah, the lights turn off. Spooky. At which point I was like, "Oh right, this." <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" This mysterious group of masked green masked men, green masks, by the way. <laughs> I did not remember that. This mysterious group of green masked men beat up the best friends with one guy who looks like if Kratos was on a down cycle for steroids. Oh my god. I love Stu Grayson. I don't know what this outfit was supposed to be. We're still like, what the fuck? Yeah, minion jobbers. They called minions. Yeah, they're minions. Yeah. Which I think is, was... I'm sure, a name they regretted immediately. Yeah, and you know what? I really hope this was like the local Las Vegas wrestlers beating on everyone. Marvez says, oh, like... this match has been spoiled by goons. Goons, like some fucking... <laughs> Solomon, my son. Like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the crowd chanting, you know, who are they or who yeah, are you? Yeah, I love the who are they chant. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. That's a very clear indication that this was a stupid People spot like, you what should the not hell? have done. Um, but you know what? Pops to the local boys. And then they you, make the human throne. Yes, for for who we will know as Evil Uno, because this was the introduction of the Dark Order. Uh-huh. A group who is absolutely not this. Baby Ever Kratos. again. Baby Kratos. Yeah, Baby Kratos is a very in- odd introduction for a group that we do not see for the rest of the night. Uh, I have a lot of opinions about how the Dark Order has been treated over the last five years. I think we'll years. be able to talk about that on a later podcast. Oh, significantly, too. Yeah, you yes. do have a... I know you've I talked to me about those. I have a lot of opinions. Yeah, we'll do maybe a deep dive on the Dark Order. I do cause... love their heel turn right now, I will mm. say. In 2023. In 2023. Match four. We are on to Riho and Ryo Mizunami and Shida. Your girl. Mm-hmm. Versus Emi Sakura, Yuka Sakazaki, and Aja Kong. Oh. So, yeah. How do you have Aja Kong and Awesome Kong not in the same match? The, the Kong. How are they man, not in the same match? Them out. No, gotta... those two need to Kong yeah. at each other. I want oh a Kong war. I think that'd be too much for that for everyone. Forget to Godzilla versus Kong. I want Aja Kong versus <laughs> Kong v. Kong. Kong v. Kong. Who are the players here? So the first entrance, um, we have Rio, who's AEW talent. I'm a huge fan of Rio. She comes out with two belts because she's fucking talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's so young here. I think she's only 21. And also uh, trained by um, Kenny my boy, Kenny Omega, yeah. and the guy he always tags with in intergender matches. Yeah, that was mentioned. Or the woman yeah. he always yeah. tags with. Um, and then you have Rio Mizunami. Um, I don't think I've seen her wrestle before. Um, I do love her look, though. This was is... this the genie? No, no, no. She... Okay. No, no, no. This is, um, she's got the short red hair. Yes, yes, Yeah, yes. so this is what I'd look like if I wrestled. Fair, yeah, I think uh, we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and then Sheeta, of course, AEW talent. I'm a huge fan. Uh, the she... women's champion at this point. Yes. And in she, 2023. Yeah, she was signed. Yeah, she's the women's champion right now. She was signed with AEW at this point as well. Other team here, we have Yuka Sakazaki. Yes, this was this my, is the magical girl. This was my favorite. Oh I my love god, her whole gimmick, Just I love the pants and the jumping and the love right. That oh. I love the gimmick as well. She's like real kawaii about the whole thing. The so pants, kawaii. the pants look comfy, and I want them. Um, one of the announcer calls her calls her an analog of Kylie Ray, which makes sense to me. She's, yeah, absolutely. The the in ring character is very like I dream of Jeannie meets Kylie Ray. I love. We loved it. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then we have Emi Sakura. Um, so I also will see a few times in the future, yes, actually. Yes. yes, and I also love her look. Um, she's got like the captain mustache. Like the um, musician, which yeah. comes out with the, the microphone, right? Um, and then uh, um, I think, so we're going to be able to talk about Emi Sakura and later. Yes, okay. uh, she's going to be in matches yeah, later on. Let's let's talk about her later then. And yeah. then, of course, we have Aja Kong of the Kong, the Kong family. family. Tell me a little bit about her wrestling career. Um, that you I mean, of. it's that's a long, I'm, I won't get into too much of it. Her career is too extensive for me to be like running mm-hmm. down it. I would sure. do it no justice. Sure. But what I what I have seen, I have seen Aja Kong a few times in the history of my wrestling diet. Um, she was in WWE for a couple matches in the 90s. She was a major star in Japan, still is okay. a major star in Japan. She's wrestled multiple types of styles. She's wrestled men. She's done leg drops off the top of steel cages. Oh, she's a badass. She's a badass. Yeah. I, I'm definitely not doing it enough justice. Look up Aja Kong. She is an astounding wrestler who I think is still wrestling now and was a complete shock to me when when we first start when this pay-per-view came out that yeah. she was on this card. Yeah. Like I didn't realize Aja Kong was still wrestling then and now even she's still a dynamo. She's still wrestling. She's awesome. Cr- she's in- amazing. Yeah. So again, another six women tag match. We're again, we're seeing the emphasis that AEW puts on some tag matches. Mm-hmm. And uh, oddly enough, a rest an AEW card with multiple women's matches. Oh, love it. Can you even believe it? Uh, yes, I, I think... didn't know that thing existed. <laughs> Fucking Let, Wembley. Let's not talk about. <laughs> let's. We're not here to discuss Wembley yet. It is. It's true. That's five years from now. It is 2019 in our KFA yes, podcast. Yes, 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 correct. The po- yes. Um, <laughs> um, but getting into the match here, yeah. um, Rio Mizunami and Aja Kong obviously are the powerhouses for each team. Um, they both get the second tag in. It's funny calling Rio a powerhouse. I no, not Rio. Rio Mizunami. Yes. So I'm gonna call yes. her Mizunami. She's okay, bigger. Okay, not okay. Rio. Little Rio. Don't call her the Miz though. Yeah, I'm gonna call her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll call her Mizunami to, yeah. to distinguish her from sure. Rio because I can't pronounce them differently enough. I mean, they're um, very similar. Yeah. So you know, Aja's posturing. Uh, you know, brushing off her shoulders as Mizunami tries to knock her down because Mizunami's still smaller than, than mm-hmm. Aja Kong. Um, she does get a shoulder tackle down on Aja at one point, but Aja's back up really really quickly um you see also in this match a highlight for me was that rio so r-i-h-o um and emmy sakura have a have some spots where they're just so athletic and agile um you know rio gets into a bridge while um emmy sakura tries to stomp on her rio gets a a crucifix and a a near fall on sakura and i'm such like a rio stand Mm -hmm. stand right now um there was a move i wasn't sure what the move was but it was a really cool looking move um it was like a kind of there was some sort of move and then sakura gets a backbreaker on rio it looks really cool to me again this is like my my lack of knowledge wrestling coming through um but but i I also think it's good because as we go you'll probably yeah as we go you know you might see the evolution of me Mm -hmm. being able to call moves a little bit better um and then yeah again i'm i'm a huge rio mark so she escapes one of uh, uh, Sakazaki's pins, um, and that's that's the magical girl. Mm-hmm. Um, by just bridging out, it was it was a very smooth bridge out. I'm always impressed by bridge outs, honestly, and I'm fangirling over her agility. It was so smooth. Um, but the other team does a really good job of isolating Rio and keeping her in the ring, not letting her make the tag. She's obviously physically the smallest wrestler on the other team. So um, you know, Emi Sakura gets a really cool um, 
I, I, the the commentators call it a surfboard submission move. Mm-hmm. It looked cool. Um, you know, an Audrey. Very, uh, very um, what's it, Eddie Guerrero style. That's a yeah. that's a lucha move. It was cool. Um, and then yeah, I was just throwing Rio around like a fucking rag doll. Um, and then Rio obviously is just so good at selling those rag doll mm-hmm. hits. Mm-hmm. It was it was cool. Well, I mean, it's easy when you're like uh, eighty pounds. Soon. Swoon. Um, but yeah, Mizunami really shows off her strength here. Crowd is hype. And then, <laughs> and then I can't remember who threw um, like the garbage can at Aja Kong. Like to like someone from her team threw her a yes, garbage can. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then you know she does in the ring, of course. So she's you know very well known for um, you know her kendo training, and mm-hmm. she she uses a kendo stick even still. Uh, you know, I guess this is just like a no DQ rule of cool thing. Uh, refs? We'll talk about. Is that well, what's going no, on? No, no, it's because it's a. Oh no, actually, it's a six man, right? Yeah, the six woman. Yeah, I don't know. We'll talk about the refing. Yeah, so oh. like they go back and forth with the kendo stick and the and you know um, Aja's blocking with the garbage can. It's 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 this, cool. It's it, entertaining. It, it, it is entertaining, but the refing is something, and it's, we'll talk about it in a different yeah. match. But the refing in this pay per view in general is a real indicator of the refing in AEW in general. Yeah, I think yeah we do have another um, yeah. spot to talk about that, but. Um, you know, in this, you, you, and again, I learned this from the commentary, sure. um, but Emi Sakura is Shida's mentor. Which is why we'll see a lot of her in the future. Yeah. And so watching them in the ring, you know, starts to tell a really cool story. You know, Sakura is initially dominating. Um, you know, she does a body press into a backbreaker, some really cool chops. So strong for someone so small. So strong. But well, I think like her face hits the top rope. Like, yeah. Like stand them next to it. Yeah. The m- momentum shifts. Um, you know, Shida's able to land some flippy shit on Sakura after a little bit bit of interference from Rio, and then I think it was a moonsault that Sakura lands on Sheeta I don't know it was it was some more flippy shit Aubrey Edwards um says it's a two count but the bell goes right remember this yes oh. yeah I think it's because what happens is Sheeta kicks out right before the three like she does yeah, a 2.9 it was, a, it was a because really... Aubrey's hand hits the floor the ground yeah. I think the person ringing the bell went a little early yeah so it was a super confusing moment but really the the intensity of the match continues so I think that um you know these wrestlers are really showing their professionalism when yes. the crowd's kind of like what the fuck you know and the, mm-hmm. the 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 viewers are what the fuck right so the wrestlers keep the energy up with some some really exciting spots the match um ultimately ends she gets the pinfall on her mentor Emi Sakura after hitting a running knee on her um um, so that was really cool, and you know the crowd gives a well-deserved standing ovation for these wrestlers. Yes, absolutely. I was sports entertained. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on this one? No, I thought it was a great match. I remember enjoying it a lot more this time than I did mm. when I watched it back then. I think because at the time, um, you know, I was still relatively new to international wrestling. I had not watched any Joshi wrestling. Joshi mm-hmm. are women fem- women wrestlers in Japan. Right. I had never watched any Joshi wrestling really, so I didn't know who any of these people yeah. were. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have a lot of expectations for them. Now that I have a bit more familiarity, um, and I believe in Riho a little more <laughs> in terms of kayfabe, mm-hmm. um, going back on it, yeah, this is an excellent match that in retrospect really shows where Tony wanted to take the women's division at first. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something I didn't know at the time, but now I understand that like Joshi women's wrestlers are the best wrestlers, women's it wrestlers in the world. So exciting. I'm sorry, Charlotte, you're not yeah. that good. You winning 13 wrestling, like world titles in 10 years is not as impressive as your dad winning 16 and yeah. 30. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, you know, Joshi's are really impressive. And so to go back on this now that I have some familiarity and I've watched some stardom and some shimmer and stuff like that, I think it shows a lot of the future of this division in the first year 
uh, in this match. Yeah. And I don't think anyone really knew that at the time. Yeah, and I will say, moving forward and watching watching these Dynamite episodes, I'm really excited to see where the women's division goes. Yeah. So we are on to the fifth match on the card. Oh. Yeah, Cody and Brandy Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes. Um, so there's Cody Rhodes, who apparently you told me this. Uh, he didn't own the name Cody Rhodes at this point in time, um, which I think we're going to talk about. But I'm just going to call him Cody Rhodes for sure, simplicity. Sure, or Cody, because Cody, Cody and yeah. Dustin, right? Both... I, I, I go, yeah. So I, I go between calling him Cody Rhodes and Cody. Um, and then Dustin Rhodes, Gold Dust? Yeah, that was literally what you said. You were like, is that Gold Dust? <laughs> That was my first impression. Um, Who is this bald man? No, no, I know who the fuck Goldust is. I don't know. Yeah, again, I... So... (laughs) I love keeping all of this in. Keeping all of this in. What are the stakes of this match, Rom? Tell us about that. Sure, sure. We start off with a beautiful promo that I'm going to interject here, uh, showing the, the match... Between these brothers born decades apart. Yeah, and the the country song for this promo video is a fucking choice, in my opinion. (sighs) Modern country music is very low on the list of genres I like. I like a lot of different music, depending on my mood, but this is fucking terrible. I will plug that this song is called Shoes by the Ian Abel Band, so if you're into, um, like, rock country crap, Go it, check them out. Crap! But Don't call it that. It was. A, it really distract. It just. It took away. Sure, but for, it is also like it's very them. That's yeah, these boys. This that's is fair. the world they grew that's up fair. in. That's the music they grew up on. You know, it's it's not for us. Sure, it's not for us. Okay. It's about them, and okay. and I can respect that. Okay. okay. Um, I also think it's adorable that MGF has a cameo in this training. Cody, training with Coda. He's so fresh faced right. and like non gimmicked. Right. It's so weird. I know. Like I was really sad he wasn't a, doing it with the scarf he's on. He's so fresh faced. He should have had the scarf on. But yeah, obviously the Rhodes family is a very famous wrestling family. Um, there you know, is more than one royal family in wrestling. I think apparently. yeah, I think even people who don't know about wrestling would recognize Goldust. Again, I was like, is that fucking Goldust? Like, and I was, you know, obviously I grew up in the Attitude Area where wrestling was everywhere, but like, you know, I think even casual people know. Goldust. Sure, He's of course. Like Hogan. Yeah. It's the so, Attitude Era very bled really into, I mean, there were millions of people watching wrestling. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a bit about uh, Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, um, I, you know, even then when this match came out, I was very interested in this. I'll talk a little bit about the K, the shoot of this and the kayfabe of this. So the, the shoot of this is that Dusty Rhodes, the American dream baby, mm-hmm. um, had two children. Cody Rhodes and Dustin Rhodes. Dustin Rhodes is the older. He is the gold dust. He is 16 years apart from Cody. Okay. They're born. That's like a whole generation. Yeah, that's multiple generations. Yeah, yeah. Right? And they're very far apart, and they were treated very differently by their father. Dustin was brought into the wrestling industry very young. He was Mm. clearly a natural talent. His gimmick was called The Natural. Mm -hmm. Um but he, you know, and his dad was the book or Booker had part of the booking in WCW and other companies. And he didn't really, you know, he gave Dustin opportunities, but Dustin also did things that that, that Dusty wasn't into. Mm. Um, and when Dustin was fired from WCW for blading when he would, shouldn't because he's a Rhodes, <laughs> he went to WWE and, you know, long and short of it is they gave him this gold dust gimmick, yeah. which was this androgynous um, using homosexuality as a heel, as heel heat yeah. character that 
you know, incidentally, as someone at the time who didn't really have a concept of sexual orientation, I didn't even really see him that way. Yeah. I was just like, oh, this is a non-white guy who's like, in retrospect, I wasn't thinking that at the time, but like in retrospect, this is a different dude yeah. who's doing something very strange. Yeah. It was very strange at the time. Very strange and weirding people out. And as someone who likes to irritate people, I found that very appealing. <laughs> For yeah. him to come out and just be like, yeah, <sighs> like I love that. Yeah, it's just yeah. so awesome. No, and I think a lot of people did, and we're not going to get into it, like the no, sort the of homosexuality no, no, tropes. No. That's stuff. something that That's we will later. talk about later. We will yeah. talk about it later, but um, yeah, no, Goldust was a really exciting character. Yeah, um, but you know, Dusty did not like Goldust, um, and there's a lot of interesting shoot interviews about this stuff, you know. But ultimately, Dustin did a lot of weird shit as gold dust and as the mm-hmm. artist formerly known as gold dust <laughs> russo vince russo really created this character that went into some really fucked up places he went to wcw he went to tna he had these really bad runs where he was fucking drugged up to shit mm-hmm. and depressed and you know divorced and having to do these insane gimmicks and these insane storylines that just were never over and made him look like shit mm-hmm. um and eventually he came back to WWE as Goldust again and did some really fun stuff with Booker T and yeah. really great comedy stuff. And I think that's the stuff that most people remember about Goldust and about Dustin. But he's had other characters. And I really like this version of Dustin, which is which is just him. him. You know, it's the natural again, mm-hmm. but after all of this life experience, mm-hmm. you know. And in the on the other side, there's Cody, who is this golden boy who his dad was at every event and went to every baseball game and went to all this stuff and has this very, you know, not animosity, but they have 16 years apart. Mm -hmm. And I read, I watched a shoot interview recently where Dustin was like, you know, the thing with me and Cody in this match, it was real. And to a point, because we spent 16 years apart and I wasn't always there for him when he wanted me to be. Cody said that about Dustin. Dustin said that about himself. about himself that Cody wanted him to be there more than he was because they had all this distance and oh. their father and all this you and know. I'm sure there's feelings of like oh, your sure. father treated you like shit when you're the older child and then you have this golden child little brother like yeah, yeah. who's like handsome and short cool. and yeah like wears but suits. also the American nightmare <laughs> right exactly and so it, which is a riff off of his father yeah. and like it shows He's ha- daddy's has, boy. has all this love for and reference for a time of wrestling that was actually pretty terrible to the people in it and he knows that but he also has a lot of deference for it mm-hmm. so there's a lot of this sort of it's it's a mix of difference of opinions of their father difference of opinions of the style of wrestling mm-hmm. and also one of us like wants to retire the other in the kayfabe of this match right, right the other thing that i think is really interesting in a shoot sense is that these guys in wwe before either of them left way way before this this is like in the middle of the shield run mm-hmm. when they were still all together yeah. cody and dustin had a match against the shield for the like their contracts basically and Mm -hmm. for their father and it was a kayfabe match but i remember that match i remember every moment of that match and they dustin and cody had this amazing chemistry and it was just the whole crowd was so for them we will watch this match one day it's so crazy and they wanted to have a match against each other and at WrestleMania. And WWE wouldn't let it happen. No, and they had a match against each other at another pay-per-view, and it was kind of shit, honestly. And maybe they took that They wanted like, WrestleMania, though. Right. And, and, yeah, and maybe maybe Vince saw that match and was like, well, they gave it half effort, so whatever. Or what, mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? There's but, probably shit we yeah, don't even but know. But this was the match they wanted to have, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And this is, I think, when you were talking about it, you know, this is kind of a dream match, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. In, in for fans too, because yeah. like Cody and Dustin, like 
you know, it's Stardust and Goldust. It's yeah. Dusty's kids. Yeah. It's the yeah. guys who there's get the a shield. Lot of, there's like, a, yeah, lot there's a lot of, of emotionality yeah. and history. And there's also, getting into the match, a lot the of emotion. giant symbolism. <laughs> the massive symbolism. Yeah. Massive, blatant, unsubtle symbolism. Yeah, so there's a giant Triple H throne, throne. Skulls and the giant Cody. H backer. Yeah, so... so <laughs> the is... back of this chair looked like the Triple H sign. Okay, so this is clearly some sort of like messenger symbolism involving Triple H and leaving WWE. So, uh, should we talk about why Cody left WWE now? I, I think so. I think it's relevant to this match and to his place in this company. Okay. Um, because him getting to AEW is is a twisty road. You know, he Cody came up in the OVW system with like Randy Orton, John Cena, mm-hmm. Batista, all of those guys, but he came up much later than that. And when he came to WWE main roster, he ended up being Orton's like minder. Where he'd like go to to clubs with Randy and watch him get drunk and fucking do stupid Randy Orton shit back then, mm-hmm. right? So he has a lot of stories about that. So he's been around forever. I pretty much watched his entire wrestling evolution. Okay. And as he got to his leaving of WWE, he was his character Stardust, which was a riff off Goldust. Right. And he, you know, he says in shoot interviews that he absolutely hated Goldust. He hated the way it made Dustin look. He thought it was silly. He thought it was like an, a, a dig at him. Things like that as he was growing up. Okay. You know? So it's a little bit of like, they're making my older brother look like a piece of shit. Well, not a piece of he shit, should, but, but like they're, it's, not, it's they're not. He's not a wrestler. He's not right. a rose. He shouldn't be taken seriously. Right. And so now he's in this Stardust thing. After the big feud with the Shield, mm-hmm. he's doing Stardust instead of fighting his brother. And yeah, being like, it's like uh-huh, Cody, you're not taking it, are you? Cody yeah. Rhodes is an abusive relationship yeah. with the WWE. Yeah, it's like me and Destiny too. It's real bad. Um, <laughs> We're not talking. It's not a video game podcast. No, no. Um, so yeah, so he ultimately he left, and he released a statement when he left. He put it on Twitter before WWE could say anything because he wanted it known that he's leaving this company to be his own man. Mm-hmm. He didn't shit on the company. Mm. He didn't, um, but but he wants to be able to control the narrative. Yeah, of, of, I'm of, growing into I'm my own. I'm growing into my own. They're not letting me be who I want to be. I'm too restricted here. They could have given me a lot of money, and I didn't need it because they put me in a position where I was well taken care of. Uh-huh. Um, so he left, and when he left, he made a, a list of all the people that he wanted to wrestle. And on this list, from top to bottom, Twitter as it was formerly known. I'm never calling it X. <laughs> it's not happening. It's not happening. On this list from beginning to end, Adam Cole, Dalton Castle, Kurt Angle, Chris Hero, Moose, Pat Buck. He wanted Japanese streamers in one of his matches. It says the streamer thing, so I'm guessing that. Okay. Young Bucks, Uh Trevor Lee, Shibata. He wants a personal ring announcer, and he wanted to fight Roderick Strong. He did pretty much all of this. In AEW? No. In gen- like oh, over just his time in oh, the Indies after he, left. after he left. Okay, cool. These cool, were the cool. guys he wanted to wrestle. Cool. When he leaves, he goes, it's, eventually he goes to Ring of Honor in New Japan. He starts making friends with the Young Bucks mm-hmm. and Kenny Omega. He left because he wanted to be the American Nightmare, which is the character he created for himself. Where in some matches he was like a 1970s house show face, like his dad. Mm-hmm. And in some matches he was just a straight up heel where yeah. Brandy would interfere like yeah. we like in tonight. But there's match. a lot of flexibility with that, that there character. Is. In 2019... You know, it, it, you also have to consider that there was no bloodline storyline. WWE booking was not in a great state. They were taking Saudi money. And I think the AEW fan base were the only ones who were seeing this pay-per-view as something that was 
had a lot of potential in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure anyone detached from that drama and it's, uh, an excitement of all of that would have seen this thing where he takes a hammer mm-hmm. to the chair smashes it and it explodes into into farty pyro yeah and there's like there's like effects and stuff is it not tacky you don't think it's tacky so i think in the light of day out like detached from the the moment and what it was supposed to represent because it's not just we're gonna smash the system it's Mm -hmm. also cody being like i proved myself right yeah i don't know it's hard i'm not detached from it you know i watched this in retrospect, and I'm like, this is a little tacky in 2023. Sure, okay. But in 2019, I don't know, was it? Yeah. Should it be on this pay-per-view? I yeah. I don't know. Maybe you know it should. I, considering this company still exists. Yeah, in my maybe opinion. Maybe it wasn't that big a, a mistake because yeah. they beat NXT. They they made the industry change. And, like, for a first pay-per-view, like, why the fuck not be really upfront with that kind of symbolism? Like, they yeah. are sending the message that they, like, are they are not your little siblings, WWE. Yeah, they are not TNA. They are not... ROH, no. this is a real, I mean, yeah. people think ROH is real. And it's you know what? not. I, but... Honestly, watching it for the first time, I did find it exciting. The crowd's eating it up. Oh, the crowd loves it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. No one boos this. Yeah. No yeah, one boos It was hype. Like, it's something I think that, like, wrestling fans, either they remember it and love it or forgot about it because it's actually kind of tacky and we just loved it in the <laughs> yeah, moment. Yeah, in the moment. Because yeah. I completely forgot this happened until we watched it again. <laughs> That's funny. Anyways, um, back to the match. So this is how where I remember just how goddamn amazing Jim Ross is. Mm. Okay? Because his storytelling throughout the pay-per-view is great. His, his admiration for all the wrestlers. Mm-hmm. But this is where his storytelling just fucking ramps up. Because mm-hmm. um, he's watched, like... This guy knows the history of both of these men right. and their father. He worked with all of them. Yeah. He was in WCW when Dusty was there. Like, he know? watched them grow up. Yeah, he watched them grow up. He knows everything about them from a business perspective. And throughout the match, him and Excalibur do just an amazing job of elaborating on all the emotional stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody starts the match with this early flurry of moves, but Dustin's veteran skills get him through it and immediately gets Cody into a 10-punch spot, ten punch spot, which forces Forces Cody to go out to the outside to refocus while Dustin is like, I still got it. Mm-hmm. You can't, yeah. You can't fuck yeah, with me. Yeah, Dustin, really, Dustin was really excited. I think this was a really cool tactic to obviously shift the momentum, you know, because at this point, you know, once he is back in the ring, he kind of takes control. He's able to get one of his submission moves that I didn't catch the name of um, on Dustin. Then Brandy. <laughs> yeah, so very quickly, uh, Brandy gets involved. One of the many spots with her in this match getting involved on Cody's behalf. Uh, Brandy helps Cody turn the tables on Dustin, to which JR yells, Don't tell me this is going to devolve into that. <laughs> you know it is, JR. <laughs> it already has. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Both Cody and Dustin trade their special moves, uh, like Cody or Dustin does the drop-down slap, uh, the disaster kick from Cody, the 1970s house show 10-punch spot in the corner, each guy seeing who can hit L1 faster <laughs> on their controller. Uh, but they, but it's because they know yeah, each other yeah. so well. You know, it, it really comes off. Like, these guys know each other. They know all our moves. Everyone knows Dustin's moves because they're all mm-hmm. gold dust moves. Mm-hmm. Then Cody slams Dustin's head into an exposed turnbuckle. Flash and steel! According to JR, to which I thought, well, it took them longer to Blade than I thought yeah. it would. Uh, and Blade, oh, oh my, my God, God, Blade, they do. Holy shit. 
shit. Uh, you know, as the match continues, Dustin and Cody and who's Earl, the Heb- Earl, Earl Hebner. Hebner. Yeah. Um, and the ring are just like bloodied as fuck. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the fact that Dustin um, bladed for maximum bloodshed shows his expertise in blading, though. So even if oh, I they're they were raised by the preeminent yeah, blader. Yeah. Even if I hate looking at blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be like the Abdullah the Butcher's kids not knowing about forks. Yeah. You know, and like, like at one point Excalibur says like it's a waterfall of blood on Dustin's face and I'm like I feel a little nauseous right yeah, now. Yeah, no, it like, would honestly and especially cuz Dustin's wearing like half red face paint too. It intensified so it just bleeds it. into yeah. the yeah, I yeah. didn't think of that but it was not really like I'm I don't do well with the, with the Yeah. Blood yeah, I honestly I remember watching this at the time and being like, I don't miss the Crimson Mask in wrestling. I like, I, I like blood. Don't get me wrong. I do think WWE at the time wasn't doing enough of that. But I also don't need to see John Moxley's fucking HIV test every week. Like, I don't understand that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And like this match, it makes sense because it's the only match on the card that really does this. Mm-hmm. But god damn it. And like blading when done, when done at the appropriate time in the appropriate match, fine. But all At the least time, it was a good blade spot. It, was it wasn't just Moxley getting like topate outside the ring and he decides to blade himself. Yeah. Then uh, Brandy gets involved again to which JR goes, what kind of family is this? Which is ironic because JR, you know exactly what kind of family this is. <laughs> no one knows better what kind of family this is yeah. than you. Yeah, intimately. Intimately. Um, <laughs> Hebner, though, has enough of Brandy med- Brandy's meddling and gives her the old, you're out of here. Yeah. The crowd pops for that. Right. Everyone loves the are out of here spot. Yeah. DDP makes a cameo to cart her away, which was impressive to me because Brandy does a perfect straight plank the entire time. Up the ramp, him. yeah. Up the ramp. So DDP. Yeah. And like I think Brandy was showing off her DDP yoga skills. Shout out to DDP yoga. Heck yeah. That guy. So good. It's um, so amazing. I will say shout out to DDP yoga. That is the best way to practice. The most exciting way to practice the mind-body connection that I love. I agree. Um, I, we could probably take a break for a little bit of like energy red hot core right now. Yeah. Let's not do that, but we could. <laughs> Honestly, like for whatever I feel about the blood, there are a few people in the world who are as good at generating fan emotion than Dustin Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Like, whether he's Stardust or Goldust or any other character or just himself, people love to give him empathy. Mm-hmm. And he's great at it. Um, he hits also hits his trademark power slam, which is, A, one of my favorite runes in wrestling and one of the best person to hit it. One day I will have mm. to make a list of like notable power slams. Notable power slams. Yeah. We need, yeah, if there's any listener suggestions yeah. for notable power slams, our email inbox is open. Yeah, um, but no running power slams. This is not a, <laughs> as much as I love British Bulldog. We're not talking about that. <laughs> We're, We're talking, talking about, about like, strict power slams. Strict like Randy Orton power slams. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, yeah. And then what? We were having, uh, oh, the, here's the figure four. See, yes, I can this call is, a figure yes, four. you're right, you're right. Um, I've been put in a figure four before, oh, so oof. that's how I know. That's unfortunate. Yeah. That move actually hurts. But yeah, no, it does. Dustin withstands that, um, and as they roll to the ropes, you see blood all over the canvas. It is a fucking crime scene. Yeah, it's it's hideous. Dustin hits a sudden reversal into a code red, which is uh, kind of like a Canadian destroyer, for a really shocking near fall, and the crowd goes ballistic. Yeah, and then he hits Cody with a superplex and a crossroads. 2.9 kick out by Cody. Breathtaking. Yeah, I'm losing it at this point. The back and forth near fall is just a really high energy, like desperation out of both wrestlers. And it's such high caliber wrestling. Yeah, it's, it's these these two are just amazing. They're, yeah. can, they're chemistry, of course, right? But 
could also be terrible. It could be yeah. Matt and Jeff Hardy wrestling each yeah, other. No, it was, it was... Um, Earl Hebner is covered in blood. And I was like, okay, relax. He just illegally sold some t-shirts. Which is like some some inside baseball shit. It's not know. inside baseball. It's if like you history. Know, you know. Earl Hebner is famous for two things, okay? It is the screw job, and it's also him and his identical twin brothers selling t-shirts in a parking <laughs> lot. Okay? Those are the two things. It's got... No, no, three things. Also, having a gimmick in TNA where the, where the knockouts slept with him for wins. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think it was a funny joke. I'm going to leave it in there. <laughs> hey, I laughed. Yeah, it's true. Cody hits a low blow and a crossroads for another near fall. And again, the crowd explodes, <gasps> to which Marvez says, with zero emotion, the bleeding doesn't stop. <laughs> As if he's like in a trance. I swear to God, the guy's a vampire. Yeah, he could be. He could be. Because again, does, this match is so exciting. The bleeding doesn't stop. And like, of course, I commented on the blood, but like, you're the commentator, man. I know. Like, JR is just like losing his shit and Marvez is just like sleeping. Dustin hits another crossroads and again, he gets 2.9. JR is calling this match like a much younger man. Every time there's a near fall, he's just like, oh my God, what is? What this? will it take to take these two men? They are giving each other everything. <laughs> what is this? The 90s? I love it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the roads are trading shots, blood spilling everywhere. It's honestly really gross. Yeah, and you'd mentioned the crimson, yeah. crimson mask thing, so... It's just, it's a lot. Yeah. Cody hits a pile driver, but can't bring himself to make the cover. He's so spent. Mm-hmm. Um, but finally, he gets his brother up and hits one last crossroads and finally gets to three. And now I am spent. Yeah. Um, this was wrestling. This uh-huh. match, to me, is, is what wrestling is. This is the sports is. entertainment this is, at its highest peak. Absolutely. It's, it's a beautiful bittersweet story about these two brothers who love each other and love their father and love the legacy of wrestling and want to represent what they think wrestling is and with their place in in history of it mm-hmm. um and it's there's such weight and subtlety to the emotion of this match if you know the history of these guys mm-hmm. which like everyone in this crowd clearly did um and jr clearly did mm-hmm. and it's just Two guys given the chance to go out there and use that history and passion and animosity to paint this amazing picture. It's and beautiful. It's what this is why I love wrestling. Yeah. And then at this point, after the match is over, Cody picks up a mic. He says he has a match coming up against the Young Bucks, and he like he doesn't very... want just a partner. <sighs> he wants his brother. Um, how are you feeling? I I remember okay I when I first watched this I when he makes the because uh, and I'll put it in here but the way he says I need my brother his <sighs> voice quivers in this such a real it's way. like a real I was misty eyed even if I... it's even if it's kayfabe it was so real and I remember just bawling oh, I was in tears well, when this happened. yeah and then they cut to the announcers oh god so they they cut to the announcers okay this is where we're gonna get to fucking Marvez. They cut to the announcers, and JR and Excalibur are shoot crying. Okay, JR is like, I just have something in my, I have some allergies. I swear I'm not gay. I, it's just not tears. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and it's, yeah, Excalibur can't even speak. Yeah, you are in love with this. I know, and Excalibur is trying to like clean himself up where he's wearing. He's and, like, legit crying. He's like, like, yeah, he's wearing his lucha mask, and that made me extra emotional seeing him trying to do that. Like I've said, like we're all human beings, and you know, feeling moved to tears is a human experience. Um, and it's okay, JR. It's okay to cry. Um, there's no shame in crying. Like you said, like JR has a history with these guys, with their father. Like we're crying. If JR wasn't crying, mm-hmm. I'd be like, I'd have questions. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and then so JR's crying, and Excalibur's crying, and then Marvez turns to the camera 
with this like shit-eating grin on his face and goes, well, I guess that was a happy ending. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Fucking Marvez. Fucking Marvez. I, like, honestly, this guy... As we're sitting here crying. As we're sitting here exploding in tears, this guy is just like, well, all right, whatever. Yeah, so at this point... I guess point... they're gonna tag with blood all over him. Like, fucking have an emotion, Marvez. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now read the room, man. Honestly, read the like, room. what a terrible announcer. He's just these two professionals and Marvez. Yeah, and at this point, I'm like, roll I'm the so, fucking like, clip fucking marvez yeah at this point i had to pause because i was so pissed yeah at this point no i'm like roll the fucking clip so excalibur can stop stop struggling with his tears under his fucking mask like let's clean ourselves up here people like it is someone card away marvez (laughs) (laughs) fucking christ there's still a few more matches they they they're like yeah they still need him i guess yeah for some reason (laughs) god knows uh we see clips from the casino battle royale at the pre-show match Mm -hmm. um ending with hangman page throwing mjf over the top rope after honestly a vicious buckshot lariat mjf sold that like a boss like he always does yeah and i uh, full disclosure mjf is totally my goat even when he so in 2023 as it stands now he is now like baby face to the max and ah, well, to the max of his cape to the max <laughs> to the max of maxwell yes um <laughs> but even when he was a heel like i live for that kind of heel energy that he has yeah. so mjf is my goat and i won't um i won't deny that absolutely anyways yeah so then we throw back to jr and excalibur and what's his face pitch to jack whitehall who if you don't know who he is he's a very funny british comedian okay because i was like Um, i'm a big fan of jack whitehall i actually think he's very witty and very charming um i've seen a lot of stand-up with him but like what the hell is he doing here yeah okay. i have no idea he has no connection to this whatsoever Good, because i was like who the fuck is this guy it's so bizarre i will be say i'm very grateful he didn't make any jokes he didn't do any shtick he they just cut cute to him and he was like yo brett farkin hart's coming out yeah he announces, Canada boys. he announces brett hart the music hits and he gets out of there yeah. thank you jack yep and then brett hart comes out crowd gives him a holy shit chant of course because i think at this point no one had seen brett in a wrestling ring since like 2016 maybe mm. maybe earlier than that whenever you have that shitty match with vince yeah but he's coming out to unveil the aew world title well that's his intention anyway. that's what he was intending to <laughs> do um he was very clearly nervous at the beginning he stumbled yeah. over some dates but the crowd again the crowd was loving him still yeah, very gracious were, yeah he was, even makes a joke about it he takes it light and i think that helps everybody yeah and so he announces hangman who but co- who comes up but before he can say anything mjf comes out my boy your boy um he introduces himself and from what i could hear over callie's intense mewling um <laughs> what? What? he says he's the fastest up-and-coming star says the crowd and hangman are jealous of his talent calls hangman a horse <laughs> I don't know. I think I missed something here. I think it must have been from a pre-show interview or something. Calls him a horse. Uh, says that it doesn't matter how hard or strong or fast a horse is. If a horse has a broken leg, they get put out to pasture. I just uh, just the then, whole delivery of the horse thing, I cracked Yeah, up. so weird. Just calls him a horse and immediately we burst into the left. Um, and then, speaking of uh, out to pasture, he notices Bret Hart, and despite calling, all right, relax, and then despite calling him old and saying his catchphrase sucked, Bret is like chewing a hole in his cheek trying not to laugh. It's so obvious. It's so obvious that he loves this guy, and he loves being here. Yeah, and I, I am dying of laughter. I am so 
wet by this point because oh, of how Jesus funny Christ. and fucking amazing MJF is. We told you this is 18 plus podcast. Hey, yeah, oh, Jessica yeah. Rabbit and I both love men who can make us laugh. It's true. And clearly, Bret Hart can't resist a funny man either. So I mean, I think he can't resist a good heel. <laughs> like true. I think Bret's looking at Max being like, "Oh, money! What an excellent heel! Money! What a Jake the Snake money this heel. man is!" Then Hangman swings at Max. He doesn't say a word. Just swings it. Who backs up up the ramp into an oncoming Jungle Boy? Then another person's music hits with the skull image on the Tron to which you and I both thought oh it's Darby yeah but no we thought it was it's Darby Allen. whoever the fuck Jimmy Havoc is <laughs> yeah and so I had to I had to look this guy up he is a British indie wrestler known for like deathmatch wrestling um please experience God. I was like no yeah more. yeah please no more he did sign with AAW in 2019 he mm. was released from his uh contract in August of 2020 reportedly because of allegations of domestic violence that's unfortunate yeah he was all it seems like he was also suffering with unmanaged mental health issues anger issues substance abuse issues so what I can see from online is that AEW sent him to treatment um and counseling in July of 2020 and then he was released in August of 2020. I have no idea what actually happened. You can form your own opinions sure. on that. But anyway, so that's the little rundown on Jimmy Havoc, who we thought was Darby Yeah, Allen. and so that was that was basically the segment. It was just to show, like, these are the four guys who are vying for the belt. Yeah. For the title, these are the guys we want you to focus on who are in the sort of mm-hmm. mid-card, undercard, guys you don't know. Like, Jungle sure. Boy was a relative unknown yeah. at this point. I don't even think This was before a... Jungle Boy was, like, hype with his theme his song. His theme song, and people knew that he was Luke Perry's son mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Like, he's an unknown. I had no idea who he was. Sure. Um, the only, only downside to this segment, I think overall, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the only downside I have to this is the way Brett unveils the belt. Now, in my head... I remembered him unveiling the belt, then bringing the guys up. Sure. But what happens is he, and maybe this is how it's supposed to happen. But what happens is he brings the guys out. They do their schmas. Yeah. And then the camera cuts to Brett, who's just holding, holding the, the belt, belt up, up and not facing the hard camera. Yeah. He's facing the ramp. Yeah. So no one on hard camera can see it. Yeah. No one on the soft camera can see it. The ramp people can kind of see it, but there's a giant ramp in the middle of it. Yeah. So there's no fans there. And then he starts turning slowly because he realizes, oh, right, the hard camera's over there. Mm -hmm. But he just keeps turning. Mm -hmm. So the camera has no opportunity to take like a real shot Shot of the title. Yeah. Which honestly is a fucking gorgeous title. Yeah. And like this was a really fun like beatdown spot when all the guys, the wrestlers came out and the crowd was fucking loving it. Mm -hmm. But it's just so awkward because it's also supposed to be like presumably a momentous occasion for the company. Like this is your title belt, man. Yeah, like this is the world title. This is what everyone is going to be vying for. And then it just kind of was just a weird way of pacing it with the with the schmozzing out of the ring and like yeah, they should have revealed the title first because that would have made made the title more prominent. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's what ultimately yeah. it's it was a great fun spot that no one's going to complain. about. It was fun. And yeah, it was enough of a breather slash piss break kind of. I do think if it was anyone else holding the belt and doing that, they might have gotten more shit for it. Yeah. All right. Match number six. The one I was the most excited for. Lucha Bros versus the Young Bucks. Yeah. So the Lucha Bros, obviously Penta and Ray Phoenix. And then we have the Young Bucks, uh, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, brothers. I know all of these guys are all AEW uh, talent, 
presently. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm very excited to be sports entertained, as are you. <laughs> um, so this is a tag match for the... Are you not sports entertained? Oh, absolutely I am. Uh, so this is a tag match for the AAA Tag Team Titles, which is a Mexican wrestling promotion. It is. Yeah, so first impressions of this match here. Visually, the Young Bucks are giving the Elvis Presley impersonators with their gear, um, you know, a nice tassel moment, the movement. Uh, the Lucha Bros always look badass to me. Uh, yeah, Big fan, big fan. I also love that the Bucks were still coming out with the Bucks money that was Mm -hmm. popping out instead of streamers. And I had never seen that before. Yeah, we we had talked about that just a week ago, right? Like you had never seen that. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm sad that they moved away, but that's more of a heel thing for them anyway. Okay, okay. Um, And then, yeah, of course, ref uh, Rick Knox quotes, wants a clean match, gentlemen, um, which always tickles me when refs say that in wrestling matches. Like it's a boxing match. I know, it's like, I know. Well, and for me, it's like, it's nice to want things yeah (laughs) but also don't be blind deaf and dumb maybe that way you'll have a clean match yeah you want a pony with blackjack and hookers (laughs) yeah i know it's like wanting a pony with blackjack and hookers it's nice to want things rick (laughs) so anyways the match so the match starts and i very immediately realize this is going to be a disaster to retell over a podcast yeah i think we both rewatched this match <laughs> yes yes we definitely times. yeah we definitely I rewatched did. it a couple times pace is insane mm-hmm. um matt jackson and penta start together and this crowd is immediately so ready for this and so am i i will say penta el zero miedo or penta el, uh, el zero or pentagon jr whatever you want to call him cero miedo. cero miedo i was a big fan of him from lucha underground again mm-hmm. i'm realizing how much that was actually an influence on me when i stopped watching wwe i often forget about it but man i watched a lot of these guys there yeah i watched him there he had this gimmick he was more of a heel there uh-huh. um and he had a gimmick where he would come in and you see it in this match where he would knock a guy down on his front and then lean on one side and take the arm from the other side and wrench it back to the point where it acted oh, like he would yeah. snap it yeah. right and he like he broke their arms and to me like that kind of shit will always get over with mm-hmm, me because that's mm-hmm. anytime I mean, yeah, you mentioned waiting for that spot during this match I well, every, anytime anyone scares me in wrestling I'm there because it's real because <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, real yeah. that makes me feel like Fear. that sympathy pain hits me right <laughs> like it always gets me mm-hmm. so I love Penta Phoenix I had I think I'd seen Lunatic Underground I'm not sure I, I mostly remember him from AEW but I'm I was an instant fan from this yeah and he's a lot younger here too. Yes, like they are he, brothers. Yeah, and the commentators comment on that, him being the younger brother, him being mm. the least experienced. I know you wanted to ask me what what I thought about. Yeah, Ray Phoenix. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So again, he looks to me, again, on the smaller, sort of thicker side of things, but he's very agile. Um, definitely like keeping up with the young bucks, right? And, um, you know, he has a, a fish out of water spot. Did I do it right? Yeah, he did. He, it's funny <laughs> that you bring that up because I was just going to say Nick and Phoenix. Nick and Phoenix often in their matches do fish out of water spots or spots where they show equal sets of agility and skill, which um, in this match, they're throwing and dodging similar kicks before they mirror drop kicks. All of this done on the outside. Yeah. And I'm always impressed when Nick does this because between the two of them, Nick is the taller one, but he doesn't seem like the one that would have this speed and agility. Yeah, between Nick and 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 Phoenix. And Matt. Matt. Nick and Matt. Yeah, and the funny thing is uh, Nick and Phoenix are the younger brothers, right? Oh, interesting. So they have like the, yeah. So, and I noticed that 
that was kind of a not a theme, but like you could see the, the older brothers would have their spots, the younger brothers would have their Interesting. spots. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't so, know that. That's very cool. So yeah. yeah, I think Nick Nick always Nick and Phoenix always do these kinds of spots where they they'll do similar stuff, and I'm always impressed by that. The Lucha Bros go into a, a series of of double team moves here, which were really hard to capture, but they did some rolling strikes, a couple springboard dives, uh, dual super kicks, and then Phoenix lifts Penta up where the guy wraps his legs around someone else's yeah, waist and yeah. then you lift him up him. and splashes him onto uh, Nick, which always impresses me. It showed, I think, really excellent teamwork from the Lucha Brothers. And I think part of the storyline here that we're being told is that the Lucha Brothers were not as skilled of a tag team as the Young Bucks are. Um, so this is like the end of the arc where, you know, they've now progressed to being a top tier team, you know, with the practice and perseverance, because we hear the commentators say, um, you know, they had done 48 tag matches That's in 2019. Cool. I missed all of this. Yeah. yeah. And so like they had been like basically grinding as a tag team in 2019 leading up to this. In, in May of 2019 um, by this point and I think the the um, you know Nick and Matt Jackson I think the commentators said they had done like two take matches in 2019 right? Oh wow so, yeah, yeah yes. So I love this storyline. Because story they were line. building up to AEW. Yeah so I love the storyline and like the, the Lucha Bros are so over with me like I I, I love mean how could it. they not be? Yeah I not? love it and yeah so again and it seemed like you know um, I think you would comment on this like Nick and Matt were kind of the heels if you had to yeah if you had if you ha- yeah if you had to de- designate them in this match I would say Nick and Matt are the heels because they are showing off more you yeah. know every time they do a move or a double team move and um, Nick will yell it to the crowd or Matt will make a face or mm-hmm. middle finger or things like that whereas um, Penta and, and and Phoenix don't really seem like they need to do that they just do their moves they hit yeah. they want to do dance damage and the one time that penta does you know he's got somebody on a in the corner i think it was matt and the one time he does play to the crowd nick comes and takes him out yeah and it actually hurts them for Mm -hmm. doing that so Mm -hmm. i think it's it's nice to see these two teams have very similar wrestling styles but their personalities are what get them into different positions um and and that's that's brilliant storytelling Uh, oh yeah this spot so pentagon gets hit with a clubbing blow he's so he's got his arm on the ropes holding himself up and i think nick uh jumps up and gives him like a hammer to the elbow or to the arm and i don't know if it was stiff or if it was just penta really kayfabing really well but he grunts really loud and just shouts puta madre very <laughs> angrily like it was great he seemed yeah. genuinely pissed you off see, about it. i wasn't sure whether it was like kayfabe anger or like you know a bad spot but yeah it was just, it's just yeah. A, it was loud it was very loud excalibur mentioned that matt's he brings up matt's shoot back injury which is something that i always enjoyed that they never shied away from bringing up which was that in new japan um i had watched a few of these matches actually where matt would play up how injured his back is during the match because he mm-hmm. did have a shoot back injury mm-hmm. for a while mm-hmm. that he worked through, and so then he they would bring it up in his matches and he would you know his back would be weak or he'd he'd get attacked all match in in the back and then he'd start doing these awesome suplex moves yeah. to show that like I will fight through this because in shoot he's doing DDP yoga all the time. Uh, let's hope. <laughs> I would imagine whoever whoever isn't is a fool, right? Um, uh, we will totally take some pad- podcast advertising DDP. 
We'll totally do that. So, yeah, so Excalibur brings it up, and Matt, and as he does this, Matt hits three Northern Light suplexes mm-hmm. on Penta um, and teases a sharpshooter before then intercepting Phoenix into another suplex, deceptively strong for a guy who isn't visibly jacked. Yeah. Like, Matt Jackson's strength always shocks me. It is cool. And yeah, the Young Bucks at this point are able to get some stereo sharpshooters on the Lucha Bros. Always shout a cool out, spot. Shout out to Bret Hart. Right. So it was also kind of a momentum shift for the Young Bucks. Um, you know, maybe it's me being like a big Lucha Bros mark, but I thought the, the Bucks were being out-wrestled at this point in the match. If I had to choose between the two, I think the Blue Shabards are more entertaining. Yeah. Um, I think I think, I think the Bucks in this match especially give them a lot of opportunity to show off who they are because Which the Bucks are a known... Yeah, well it is, and the Bucks are a known quantity. Yeah. yeah. And they're the, they're the EVPs, right? Yeah. So they can't be the guys always being on the spotlight. I remember at the time being like, and especially because this was still relatively new to me, mm-hmm. I'd watched a couple of Underground and stuff like that, but... The pace of this, at the time I was watching it, and I was astounded. And even now, it is still relentless. Yeah. Like, it's at some point, I had to just stop taking notes so I could actually watch the moves. Oh, yeah. Same, same. And, like, again, this is kind of, has this been a theme in wrestling before? Like, the pacing of matches being too fast? Well, it's interesting because... Uh, you know the the Bucks especially. You know Jr. calls them the best wrestling, the best tag team in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make an argument between them and the Usos, Frank, in my opinion. Um, but the reality is that they got a lot of flack for their style of wrestling mm-hmm. from old timers like um, you know fucking notable nobodies like <laughs> Jim Cornette mm-hmm. and Lance Storm, um, who I have I have a lot more respect for Storm than I do for Cornette, but they they often hammer on these guys for having a pace that is, or a style that is, a lot of spots and a lot less selling. Mm-hmm. And they're often saying, you know, slow things down, do less, make the let the crowd, you know, digest more. Sure. Which, I understand the logic of that, but it's also dismissing the subtleties of the style I think mm-hmm. um, we just talked about you know what what made denoted a heel from a face far being far less the moves and far more the personality and yeah. that's the point they're making too these yeah. old timers but they're dismissing the the idea that like Matt can still sell his back while doing moves that are of a certain style right and the I think what impresses me or I think the the breadth of of perspective that these younger guys have for this style of wrestling is that Mexican wrestling is different than American wrestling. Japanese wrestling is different mm-hmm. than American wrestling. Kind of like Why a- can't tag wrestling be different than singles wrestling? Mm-hmm. Why can't the style of tag wrestling be different than the style of singles mm-hmm. wrestling and still represent the same type of storytelling? And I think that dismissing that, in my opinion, is is just a disservice to wrestling as an art form that can grow and develop. Mm-hmm. To be like, well, no, why aren't you doing it like, as, I keep saying this phrase, but like a 1970s house show. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you doing it like fucking a Jerry Lawler who like does one punch and woos the crowd for half right. an hour and wins gets a bunch of money. Yeah, And, and it's it- like, you could do that. But that's not what wrestling is anymore, yeah. and you can't pretend that it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, that's not something that, you know, as a modern wrestling fan, I'm mm. not entertained by those sort of slow-paced matches. It reminds me of Seth Rollins has this match with um, Triple H at a WrestleMania that everyone hates mm-hmm. because it's slow and methodical mm-hmm. and, ta- and is working a body part, and I absolutely adore it. 
right? It is the complete that's opposite not of... In, that's not in the part of storytelling. It's of, a complete opposite of this match, sure. but it's still that storytelling yeah. and understanding of what wrestling is meant to represent yeah. as an art form. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Because, I think, again, I think it depends on the match, because, again, that would have probably been in the context of the authority. Yep. So, yep. again, Seth that makes some sense. From it. Those are when those slower paces make sense. Anyways, back to um, this fast-paced Yes, match. yes. No, I mean, it's important to talk about, because yeah. the pacing of, of this is what DIY and FTR were doing in NXT too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And they were also getting that flack. So it's not just the Bucks. It's the style of wrestling yeah. that they had a problem so with. So tell me about all the spots that we were Ooh, trying to... God. Okay, so Phoenix gets out of a devastating Powerbomb Falcon Arrow suplex combo. Always one of my... Falcon Arrow is one of my favorite It moves. looks really cool. I love when Seth does it. He has the best Falcon Arrow in the business. So everyone super kicks each other. Matt super kicks Phoenix, who super kicks Nick, who super mm-hmm. kicks Penta. Then Nick and Penta give each other roundhouses to the head, and all four men are on the ground, and the crowd goes ballistic, and JR gets overcome by just the, um, the, yeah. the amazingness of this, and he says, it's furious, it's compelling, and it deserves a standing ovation. This is tag team wrestling at its finest. And I agree with JR. <laughs> he is fucking on fire he in this is. pay-per-view. Yeah, it's true. The first big near fall in this match comes when Penta hits a Mexican Destroyer on Matt into, onto the apron, yeah. which is fucking insane, yeah. and had like a disgusting thud. It's amazing. Amazingly safe, but Jesus Christ. Then Phoenix hits Nick with the same move in the ring for two. Crowd at this point is just electric. I'm sure, like, you probably couldn't hear anything. No, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, Phoenix, unless it's JR yelling. Um, (laughs) Phoenix does a splash to the outside off the shoulders of Penta, to which Callie exclaims, Oh my God! (laughs) Yeah, my notes say, Phoenix flippy shit. He's very exciting. Rewatch. Uh, this is me calling the moves. It was very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but the, yeah, the Lucha Bros keep hitting the near fall after near fall on Matt. Uh, he, he just keeps kicking out of these increasingly ludicrous moves. I think that's kind of what you're talking about here. Yeah, like, like double pile drivers, moonsaults looking. Yeah, like, like it was the Escalera. Yeah, Escalera, looking, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that looks, it looked like a moonsault to me, so. <laughs> Penta teases the arm breaking spot again, which I was... <laughs> So hyped for it, but then stupid Matt breaks it up, the asshole. I was waiting all match for that. Heel heat. Heel heat, for real. Um, Phoenix dives off the top rope directly into a super kick. There's no way that didn't hurt. Yeah, Um, it looked wild. But yeah, and then Matt Jackson finally gets tagged in. Yes, um, they work on Nick for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He finally gets hanging. He gets the, the top rope brain buster. Oh, bringing... man. He, he <sighs> drops him right on the turnbuckle, yeah. too. Jesus Christ. It it deserved the holy shit chant yeah, that it got. Yeah, looked devastating. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was this was an exciting match, what we're getting the 20 minutes. And, like, that takes a lot of trust, too. Truly. Like, that's crazy. Truly. Yeah, we hit the 20-minute mark of this, and the Bucks went for a melted driver, uh, but Penta reverses it into the arm break spot. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Bronco's wild. Yeah. Uh, despite hitting it, though, the Bucks are able to set up Penta for another Melcher driver, after which Nick kicks Phoenix to block him from canceling the pin. And Matt gets the pinfall, and the Bucks finally get the three in a relentless and exhilarating Oh, my match. gosh. I think we had to take a break after this. Oh, no, like, yeah. I we can't I, we watched the next the match event. later the next day. Yeah, we I couldn't... think we watched the, the, the main event the next day. Yeah. This is like a gold star, high energy match. Yeah. It really ate up a lot of my energy. You know, I think the crowd was like losing their minds as well. Ram, what was the highlight of this match for you if you had to pick? Probably, honestly, it was probably the destroyer on the apron. Yeah. That was the the spot in the match where I was like, okay, this is this is getting hot. Yeah, apron this spots is getting, always look Yeah, apron spots, yeah, it's, it's agreed. But frankly, honestly, these... these 
two teams go on to have a series of matches in AEW that are all, in my opinion, just five-star classics. Mm-hmm. Like, there are, I don't know, other than the, the Usus and the New Day, I don't know that there's a pair of tag teams that have better chemistry. Yeah, than these four guys. Than these four guys. And I'm as, so excited to watch more of these matches. The, yeah, and as these matches go on, they just have more and more trust with each other yeah. to just do insane shit. Yeah. Seto Miedo as we approach the main event. Oh boy. There's a promo before the yes. main event with the press conference. I didn't watch it. You So there was a there was a press conference to announce this pay-per-view a few weeks beforehand or maybe the weekend beforehand. I can't remember exactly. But it it showed off It was off, in Vegas, I think. Yeah, it was right? in Vegas. Yeah. Announcing all the people on the card. It had, you know, SCU, it had Jericho, it had Hangman, it had Pac, it had Kenny. Yeah, it showed the press conference where Kenny and Jericho who are booked for this match have some beaking and they have a little altercation. The other thing about the hype to this match is that Jericho, after he signed with the company, basically mm-hmm. spent two months being like, this company mm-hmm. and everyone involved needs to thank me mm-hmm. for the fact that they exist. Mm-hmm. Because if without me, it would not exist. Is he wrong though? Not at all. <laughs> not even remotely. I just love the kayfabe of that. He's like, you know what? I'm going to be heel. Yeah. I'm yeah. already the heel as a pain maker. I might as well keep it going. But of course, we have Kenny Omega, who, again, we're going to discuss extensively on this podcast, and we'll get back to him in a second. And then we have Chris Jericho, who, in my opinion, the GOAT of wrestling. I think, I think, I think even Kenny Omega said that in this promo. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, and shout out to the city of Winnipeg for whatever the fuck is in their water. Like, yeah. Team Canada. Fuck yeah. The fuck is in their water. Um... <laughs> But seriously, though, man, Winnipeg boys. Yeah, man. Two Winnipeg boys main eventing Um, AEW. So give me the background of the. I mean, we kind of talked about it, but give me the background of this match. Well, these two at this point had faced each other before in Mm. New Japan. Okay. Um, and Kenny had won that match, but it was also a very significant match. It it sold tons of tickets because Kenny versus Jericho, like yeah. How do you even... That's amazing. Dream match. Uh, Dream match. Whoever thought that was going to happen, right? And I recall at the time being in just. Like, absolute awe of the scenario of this. Like, the fact that this was even happening in American soil, Mm -hmm. the novelty of these two facing each other had not worn off on me. And, okay, so now, disclaimer time. Uh, I think Kenny Omega is the single best wrestler in the history of wrestling. I am the biggest goddamn mark for this man. And I will not deny that literally everything he does to me is gold. I think he is. (laughs) I think a man who can wrestle at this level while having a broken collarbone, basically, and intense and a hernia and intense vertigo is the greatest wrestler in the history of Wait, the sport. Wait, in 2019 he had a broken collarbone? No, no, no. This is like in 21. 2021, oh, okay. 2022. Well, we're, we're, we're I'm just talking about... I'm just saying. I'm just rambling about... I'm dying love for Kenny Omega. All I, will, I will make it very short. But yeah, I'm the biggest mark in the world for yeah. Kenny Omega. So this Cannot po- do no wrong. Podcast is part Kenny Omega circle jerk. Yes, <laughs> with me with both hands jerking my. <laughs> yeah, and my impression of Kenny, of course, he's sporting like the white boy in Japan. Yeah, I still hair. got the Gaijin hair. <laughs> At first, I hated it. I really warmed to it. You're after supposed a while. to hate it. You're supposed to. Hate yeah. It. Um. His his gear gives me like the anime Final Fantasy vibes. Oh really? Um, the like, one winged angel didn't give you that off. Yeah. The asymmetrical feathering on the back, of course, the one winged angel, and then like the straps. It's all very cool to me. I think it's pretty like yeah, bad. I'm not into anime or anything, but it looks fucking Fair. cool. Totally. Jericho uh, comes out. He's using several of yeah. his previous in- intro. You know, now as much as I love Jericho's style and charisma, I I really can't keep up with like all of his. Um, reinvention so talk to me a little bit about Jericho's journey and what we're seeing here yeah so it's I feel like it's the evolution of a lot of his face characters they don't really show his heel characters 
as much, and it's a bit out of order. They do a Y2J intro. Whoever is pretending to be Jericho also is like very skinny. It's very strange. <laughs> and then they show the list of Jericho, which is actually right before he left WWE in this instance. Mm-hmm. They show the light up jacket, which was I think when he came back in 2013 yeah, for his CM Punk I remember feud. the light up jacket. And I can't remember if there was one more. Oh no, and then he comes out as Painmaker, which is right. his current heel run. The only one they didn't touch on was his suit and tie heel run in in 2007 or 8 around there Mm -hmm. that basically redefined what a heel is and everyone emulated it afterwards Mm -hmm. but I love this I love this sort of this is the evolution of this is the guy you know yeah this is not a different person it's still gonna be Jericho Jericho. it's still gonna be his level of talent but you know this is where he's come from and this is where he is now yeah and I thought that was great Uh, and it's still Jericho yeah and these are the two guys that you place the sh- the company squarely on the shoulders mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. These are the guys that, like, Jericho and Kenny are were the two guys that I was like, okay, now that these two guys are here, everything underneath needs to be built, but these two guys are so established. Yeah, yeah. because signing Jericho, you said, was a huge deal. Massive. It's so unbelievable. I could not, especially because yeah. at the time he had left a big major company to do his own thing. Yeah. And the fact that he decided, okay, this is real enough that I want to put my name on it and carry it on my shoulders, amazing. Yeah. So before the match can start, we have to get this fucking Cracker Barrel out of the ring. I forgot. What the (laughs) hell was this doing? (laughs) Oh, my God. So, yeah, the Cracker Barrel had been out in the outside corner. Yeah, it was outside corner of the ring area all night. And then I don't know what happened between the promo for this match and the cutting back to camera, but it's suddenly in the ring. Yeah, and Jericho looks like legit pissed that he had to waste time helping the ref get out. Like, Jericho prefers chilies. Fucking deadlifts this heavy barrel. (laughs) So strong. Yeah, Jericho prefers chilies. Yeah, Jericho maybe shoot pissed at this stupid fucking well, cracker no, I, I just love that. So he hoofs this thing out of the ring, and he looks at the ref and, like, makes a motion like he's like, now you can ring the bell, you stupid fuck. <laughs> yeah. You Heel, stupid idiot. energy. So the match starts. Yeah, so finally the match starts. Jericho and Omega, because they faced each other before, they don't do lockups or anything. They just straight up start with hard strikes. Lots of chops, lots of thigh kicks. There's zero love lost mm. between these two guys from their first match. Omega goes for a giant V-trigger into the corner, but Jericho moves out of the way. And then Jericho reverses a Hurricane Rana straight into a walls of Jericho. Very smooth, and these two guys very clearly have great chemistry. Great chemistry. I mean, yeah, this additional hole didn't last very long. You know, I thought, like, Kenny very clearly going to the ropes. I thought he was just going to grab the ropes. He slides out under the ring. I thought it was really smooth just to to get out of the hold, but Mm. also a fun way to set up, like, this sort of out-of-ring spot. It also shows his wariness of this veteran, who he knows will pull him into the middle if he does completely slide out right yeah so yeah and then they're outside of the ring jericho's like beating on kenny outside the ring and then he rings the bell as if he's <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> he just rings the bell He's like, okay, I guess we'll do it for the women's match. We can do it here. What a heel. I love it. Um, they keep fighting on the outside for quite a while, honestly. Yeah, and like, meanwhile, the ref is just following them oh, around yeah, okay. the outside of the ring. Yeah. And like, instead of inside the ring counting to 10. Like, so I, I found this really distracting from the match. I even agree. as like an armchair wrestling fan. Like, why not just make it like a no DQ match? Honestly, like, it makes no sense. Because like, I guess Scalibur fobs it off as like, oh, it's referee's discretion. The re- And JR too. They're like trying so desperately to explain this. As, like, no one in the audience can hear them right yeah. so they're just like and like the audience doesn't care the audience is no like, but you when know. you're watching it at home you're like what yeah and it's like referee's discretion honestly as AEW goes on it makes it ends up being like a kayfabe mental health issue for the goddamn referees <laughs> oh my god Ref- like honestly referee's discretion is like something they need to treat <laughs> 
the commentary has to do so much work for it to make sense, yeah. right? It just feels like it takes away from the match. Why not just make it an ODQ instead of being like, well, the ref has to choose not to count to 10. Yeah. For no reason whatsoever. The commentators do a good job like, as best they can. Because there's no title on the line. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Make an ODQ. Yeah, I don't okay. know. Back in the ring, Kenny does the You Cannot Escape spot where he takes the guy on his shoulders and rolls forward, which I think is called a Green Bay Plunge, into a Brett's Rope moonsault. Brett's Rope is the second turnbuckle, the most dangerous rope. Mm -hmm. Just a work of beauty, honestly. This man's speed and agility, his moveset, is unlike anyone. And, like, I understand he's a giant nerd. You know, it's a bit corny to have, like, Terminator music in your <laughs> as your, like, tope move. Sure. Or, like, You Cannot Escape or the One-Winged Angel. But it's just... If his moves weren't so cool, he'd be so much more corny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, wrote, I have in my notes, Kenny puts one leg in front of the other, swoon. Yeah, that's literally what, what was going on while we were taking notes for yeah. this match. Like, Rom's just losing <sighs> his mind over... I've seen you as alive. I can die now. <laughs> Watching these two trade chops, it became very apparent to me how much these two are on, like, an entirely different level from the rest mm -hmm. of the card. Mm -hmm. Right? Like... And, like, at this point in everyone's careers, yeah. let's say. There were chops to one another in other matches, but, like, just can't compare to, like, the force and the precision and the willingness to just hurt another person, which is essentially what a stab to the chest is. Yeah, and it's not just Kenny. Like, Jericho is, like, a master of athleticism. He's a mm -hmm. master of crowd work. Um, Jericho flips off the crowd, and they just, like, eat it up. Um, like, one gesture. Yeah, that's it. That's all, all I need. Heat. Just a middle finger. All the heat in the world. And like he chirps with a few fans too. And it feels like an indie match for a second. Because he's like talking to these guys in the crowd. In hindsight though, it seems like at some point Kenny's nose got busted yes. open. And Jericho being the goat is buying time to, to get the nose checked out. Yeah, he's out. vamping. Yeah, he's vamping. That's the, the term without interrupting this dream match. Yeah. It's shortly after Kenny does a Herkarana. And when the camera focuses on him, you see his nose is gushing blood. Like it's clearly not yeah. bleeding. No, it's it was definitely hard way. I don't I don't think it was broken, but something Yeah, it something was busted. Popped. Yeah. yeah. But no time. Yeah, no no time to worry about that. Uh, <laughs> Kenny does a running tope over the top rope just as Jericho is pulling out a table. So Jericho's holding the table and Kenny lands on the table yeah. and Jericho's underneath it and then when Jericho's underneath it Kenny dives off the top rope to the outside to stomp on the table on top of Jericho. Good fucking god. Holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Actually, the crowd was chanting, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, but we, we agree. We agree. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is also a very good time to reflect again on the commentary. You have JR saying, uh, Jericho, the forever 48-year-old, has to be hurting. Great. Thank you, JR. Also Ex so accurate. Yes. Excalibur. Uh, what a devastating maneuver that injured both of these men. Fine. Thank you, Excalibur. Marvez. How is that poor table still in one piece? Fucking Marvez. <laughs> <laughs> so irrelevant. Why do you care about the table? So irrelevant. I okay, hate you so we're much. here for the humanity, Marvez. Not I hate the fucking, Marvez. Not the fucking furniture. Honestly. Um, but anyways, back to the match. Yes, yes. As uh, as Omega takes control, you can see that moves that made him so over with me. You know, like mm -hmm. running leg lariat in the back of the head, followed by a Kataro crusher, then a running full force V trigger. His V triggers, like. Just the name V-Trigger as a Street Fighter nerd. Like, he's a gamer. I yeah. love this. Yeah, yeah. He loves fighting games. I love fighting yeah. games. So, like, his moves being called V-Trigger. And it's such a... Like, his knee lift is fucking devastating. Oh, God, yeah. It may be not even the best knee lift in, in wrestling, but it's just so hard. It's just hard. so hard. So, yeah. And then both men are down. They take a little brief breather. They're back into the flurries. <laughs> the tag matches were relentless. 
these guys, they're not going to be outdone. No, like, this is why we needed is... a break between the tag match and the main event. The pace... Is crazy. It's crazy. And I, and I think that goes back to what I was saying before of like, these two guys are on a whole other level. Yeah. It took three, four men to do this earlier in the night and these two were just relentless mm-hmm. and beating the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenny blocks a lion salt with his knees, uh, then goes for the one-winged angel, but uh, Jericho reverses that and goes for another lion salt. I don't know if Kenny was meant to move here or what, but Jericho, like Kenny was not yeah. in position and Jericho landed head to head. Like, they just knocked each other. It looked really rough. Yeah, it seemed Jericho was a little annoyed by this. He immediately, like, attempted the spot again. It was smoother the second time around. Though that seems like a very, like, non-veteran thing to do, to, like, redo the spot. It worked. I think we're going to talk about this later in the match, but it worked this time. Yes, I I agree. It was worse than the second time he did it. Jericho goes for a codebreaker attempt, which is blocked, and then Kenny hits a just devastating V-trigger right into the corner. Goes for a tiger driver, which is like a double underhook powerbomb, but that's reversed, and Jericho backdrops Kenny through the table set up earlier in the outside. These guys are taking every fucking bump with full force. Like, Kenny fucking flung himself through that table. Yeah, and just as a side note, Marvez somehow forgot about the table that was on the outside. He was so worried about it before. I know, he was so worried about it. And then, like, shock. And then he's like, oh, God, a table. Where did that come from? (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) I love Excalibur's explanation of Kenny's uh, breathing being obstructed, how his cardio is the best tool in his belt and that Jericho is spending all match hitting him in the back, hitting him in the ribs, mm. not trying to take away his speed, but trying mm. to take his air away, which is mm. a very veteran thing to do. I love Kenny that. Kenny Omega breathes swoon. Yes. Inhales and exhales. Did you know he does both? <laughs> Little known fact. Kenny facts. Uh, I should just do a list of Kenny facts and be just like, his, his blood cells move through his body. Get out of here. He has white and red blood cells. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> he bleeds like you and I. Yes. He also See, ingests food. You know what? I love this theme of the humanity that unites us so yeah you go make that kenny list <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, see how yeah, similar yeah. we really are to kenny omega jericho does a springboard dropkick on omega who sells it so hard. i mean the fact that yeah. jericho can do this shit at his age is yeah. unbelievable like his lion salts at that age i don't know anyone so else good. who could do that omega dives right into a picture perfect code breaker but only gets a two count yeah and then yeah kenny's bait back up he hits another tiger driver doesn't really have the oomph to make the pin so like instead he gets up for the v trigger that looks like it hits but jericho blocks it in the walls of jericho right in the middle of the ring it was like a full extension submission move it looked fucking painful i also love the way he reversed it because he didn't block it he took the move like he yeah. he, let, he let the momentum move him back and then he just held the leg yeah because that's why it looked it. like it hit yeah it looks like it hits him but he actually just uses the rope as like leverage it was fucking great and know? then yeah jericho gets the pinfall with the judas effect after reversing the one wing angel into a ddt yeah the the judas effect also this was a fairly new move yeah he had only i think done it once or he had just developed it when he went to New Japan. Yeah, so it wasn't it was even cool. a WWE move. It was cool. But again, you had some problems with the ending of the match. Yeah, okay. So so I have a small problem with this, which is what we were talking about before with Jericho redoing spots. So the mm-hmm. end of the match um, is, is actually the worst part of this because Jericho reverses the one-wing angel into kind of an ugly DDT. He doesn't really get his arm around Kenny's neck. So it looks like he's just grabbing him by the hair and pulling him down into like a weird bulldog yeah, that doesn't yeah. hit right. And instead of just going for the Judas effect, 
he gets up and does the entire spot again. Goes yeah, to the one wing like angel. The line spot, line yeah, spot, line spot. Gets the one wing angel. Does the DDT, and then he gets the Judas effect out of nowhere for the clean three. And it just—it's like of all the things to happen in this match, why redo that spot? Yeah. At the very end, it just took the wind out of the sails right. of this like amazing competition between these two veterans. Yeah, and like very it, strange. Again, there are multiple botches. Yeah, um, but like, are they just minor, really, in the grand scheme oh, of like the quality of the wrestling we just? Yeah. Witnessed. 100%. But if you're talking about like how to book a match, yeah. that's a shitty way to end a match. And Jericho knows better. Sure. But the thing the thing with that spot that like really bothers me is that Jericho like fairly recently did an interview where he was like, oh, I hate it when people use the word botch. It's a live sport. Some things go wrong. It's like, okay, well then don't redo the fucking spot. Don't redo two different spots mm-hmm. in one match, mm-hmm. especially the last spot of the match. It's going to take the wind out of your new mm-hmm. finisher. Yeah. It's very strange. It, see, it worked for me mid-match. It was still a fucking awesome Yeah, match. no, amazing. Uh, what amazing. a main event. Yeah. What a main event. Afterwards, Jericho, um, again, cuts a promo saying yeah. he's the reason AEW exists, why they have this TV's deal. You know, they sold 12,000 tickets to this thing. He demands his thank yous and accolades. Forget that shit. Here comes Moxley. Oh my God. The crowd's fucking wild. We're fucking losing it. Yeah, so I remember when this happened... You have no idea. Because it was such a rumor. No one knew. No one knew. No yeah. one knew. Yeah. It was no one knew he had signed. Yeah. And you had you had told me that he was coming out. So like I knew. But like yeah. the way he comes out and just the energy. Is well, and I mean, how could you not cool. know? He was already in the company well, when sure. you started watching, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so Moxie comes yeah, in. Yeah, so surprise. Moxie gets in. He comes through the crowd. He gets in the ring, gives Jericho the Death Rider immediately. Mm-hmm. Then the ref gets one. <laughs> uh, to which I'm like, Stone Cold, Stone Cold, Stone Cold. <laughs> Where's Jr. for this? Um, <laughs> he's 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 losing his mind. I, no, happy? no, he is. He's yeah. so happy to be here. So happy Moxley's here. Yeah, and then Moxley tries to to give another to Kenny, who starts fighting him through the crowd. And then they eventually make their way to like the giant like oversized novelty poker chips that are on the stage, as which decoration. are movable, by the way. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. They're it's, actual chips. It seemed kind of like I thought it was a I thought it was like a, statue. a single right, like a single object. Sure. No, so they're I up guess on they're these real poker chips. chips. <laughs> it, yeah. it was wild. <laughs> Kenny lets uh, sets Moxley up on the chips for one wing angel, but gets man. He has no luck with that tonight. Right. One wing angel. No, I didn't get it at all. Because no if he landed it, him. yeah. But he gets reversed. Death Rider on the chips. Yeah, and then he gets what? Is it a Death Valley driver? Was that what yes, he said it yeah, was? Yeah, it gives it a Death Valley yeah, driver so Moxley, off the stage. Moxley gives him one off these chips onto the glass. And that looked fucking. Oh painful. my god! But everyone, I was fucking like on the it. glass part of the stage. Yeah, it was. It looked rough. So the show goes off the air with the crowd fucking ballistic for a shock arrival of John Moxley. What a way to set up your company. Honestly, though, like the incitement and the ending of this pay per view, like really encapsulates like the tone of the entire pay per view. Yeah. And the message that AEW is trying to send that we are here. We are exciting. And we have an amazing roster that you are going to want to see. Tune in. So. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Honestly. And even just that main event, I'm exhausted. I was really, I love that entire match. This entire pay-per-view was really interesting. No, I agree. You know, I don't, I can't think of a major botch or anything that really fucked up you mm-hmm. know even in um all in 2018 there were some lights out and stuff like that that were not intended mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. so like i think the only it went really smooth yeah it went very smooth and in terms of production um especially for their first attempt for being a real company and i think the only if i had one like dark spot in this pay-per-view it would be the dark order thing because no one really knew what was yeah. happening no one really knew what it was and we're gonna have a good deep dive on the dark order they didn't announce anything about yeah. them it was just a guy in a bunch of 
of human seats. Yeah. Like, it was very strange. So, our next pay-per-view is... All Out, I believe. All Out 2019, because that is before Dynamite airs in October. Mm-hmm. So that will be our next podcast. I think we're planning a two week. So we, we will try it maybe one day do it every Wednesday um, like Dynamite does. But right now we are trying to manage every two weeks to release. Yes, so. yes, absolutely. So 